The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Scorpio Sky, and you are listening to the Keeping It Strong Style Podcast, and it is the best. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing Wrestle Grand Slam and MetLife Dome, answering listener questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension or NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm doing so good with that introduction. I mean, when you're like, this is keeping his strong style, the ace of podcasts. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, we are. Oh, uh, no, I'm doing good, man. Um, you know, got my grapefruit uh, sparkling seltzer water. Nice. You know, been dropping some LBs. I'm down like 12 pounds so far. Clanging, banging, you know, yeah, taking man. names, kicking ass. Been uh, hitting the gym myself too at the the local uh, gimmick gym here in the, in the neighborhood. Yeah, bro, but your shit doesn't count. Okay, you don't have a you don't have a tracker. <laughs> All right, so so, everyone... so my so my workout doesn't count because I don't have a, a Fitbit gimmick or a smartwatch gimmick. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so guys, listen, we're we're in uh you know we got these different you know groups that we speak on and Facebook Messenger. A friend of ours started a fitness group, and um, I've been part of it for a little bit, you know, and it's just people, you know, basically motivating each other and showing what we're doing, right? But part of it is if you've, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that stats are very important to us, <laughs> okay? And, um, you know, it's really important that you have accurate reading of, you know, what you're doing day in and day out in the gym. You can't just be one of these, 
you know, bozos that goes in there and jumps on this and jumps on that, does a bro split, you know, has bro science. You need to be, you know, measured in what you're doing. And I believe that Jeremy is being measured. I believe he's got a game plan. I see the activities he's doing, you know, lifting weights majority of the time, a little bit of cardio at the end. That makes sense. But then I look at the calories burned on, on a, what, what's, what is it? Planet fitness. Yeah. And it's like, it says like 200 for this and 120 for that. And I know this man's burning more. I've seen him work out. He goes hard at the gym. There's no way he's only burning 300 calories. Like I know that's not accurate. And the problem is if we don't have the accurate stats, it didn't happen. You know what I'm saying? This basically <laughs> your workouts are the equivalent of untelevised house shows. No one mm. gives a fuck about them. You know, you need a whoop strap. You need a Fitbit something. Gotcha. So I could, so I can see where this man's heart rate is and I can see the sweat tear, the blood, you know, the dedication devotion he's pouring into his workouts. Yeah. I guess, you know, if you don't have a gimmick, the people don't care about you. You know, if, if the listeners of this podcast would, uh, drop us a gift, at Red Circle. <laughs> Support my health. <laughs> Support Jeremy's health. Maybe we'd have some more accurate stats on this. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just using the, the Planet Fitness app gimmick. Just plugging in the workouts. Obviously, I don't think the calories, like I said, are accurate, but I'm not really I, I don't, concerned I don't about that right now. They're not accounting for your dedication and drive. You know, they're underestimating you. Isn't that the gym where they serve pizza? They used to. <laughs> so I, I had a Planet Fitness membership back in high school or like back in college. And, yeah, it was like – I think it was like Pizza Fridays or something gimmick like that. Like you'd walk in, there'd be like pizza. There'd be like a bowl of Tootsie Rolls. I'm like – They're creating the problem that they're trying to solve. Like right. This is actually brilliant marketing on their end if you think <laughs> about it. The ultimate workers. Yeah, they're, they're working they're working the, the shit out of the people that come to their gym. Like, you know – but uh, this is the first time I've been back to a Planet Fitness in probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And the one that I'm going to, they do not do the pizza gimmick. They do not have the Tootsie Rolls. It's just straight up no judgment zone. Yeah. Well, you know, proud of you going out there getting it. But uh, we got to get you a strap one of these days so we can we can see what's up. You know, our, our, our good friend of the show, Dan Coffin, he he. He'd be putting up stats, man. Dude, I'm seeing Dan, O's on top. That man be killing it, bro. Making us I'll, youngins look bad. I'll put my numbers up and I'm all proud of like what I did. Now, granted, my workouts all take place during my lunch hour, so you know, I can only, you know, do so much. But then Dan's like, Yeah, no big deal. Twelve thousand cal you know, twelve hundred calories burned. And I'm like, what is this man doing right now? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> We're supposed to be on like a 2000, you know, recommended calorie like diet. This man's burning over half that in one workout session. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, Dan Coffin's my my inspiration right now. I'm trying to be like Dan. But man, we got a lot to get into here. New Japan going off the chain. I mean, big big cork and show hall cork and hall shows that we got to talk about. I mean, but, but yeah. action packed. Yeah. Back to back. Before we get to that, um, August is over. September is here. We have to award our August Wrestler of the Month and the August Match of the Month. Remember when the August Wrestler of the Month was oftentimes like a shoe-in for Wrestler of the Year because it was G1? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's kind of a different August, but uh, no less prestigious. So um, for the wrestler of the month in August, we had quite a few different candidates. I mean, Doki putting up a strong, you know, consideration towards the end of the oh, month. Oh, yeah. Putting out a banger. The new two young lions, Oiwa and Fujita, you know, killing it at, on those gigantic Cork and Hall shows. But um, it is the opinion of this podcast that your August wrestler of the month is none other than the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, Ishii had a great month. You, you look at Resurgence, the banger with Moose, the, the never six-man defense against Suzuki Goon. Um, this guy's just been all over the place, all the court, pretty much every New Japan show, this guy was on there in multi-man tags and just absolutely killing it this month. Yeah, if you look at the quality of those six-man tags that he was involved in and then the work he did in America, um, you know, and we haven't seen it yet, but, you know, those tapings took place, and it's my understanding he might have put up a banger there as well, so. Right. But, that, <laughs> but we'll, even, we'll, have, we'll have to count for the, his uh, September work. Well, I'm, I'm being intuitive here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, you know, and the funny thing is, in August, wrestler of the month being named Tomohiro Ishii, I guess it's not that different than... Uh, you know, G1. other Augusts and G1s <laughs> as well. Yeah. But uh, that's our wrestler of the month, and then we've got our match of the month for August. Yeah, the match of the month coming in at the last second, coming in hot at the last second. <laughs> Romu Takahashi and the man who's not going back to those dirty indies in Mexico, Doki. Pero yeah, del man. Mal. Yeah, there was a there was a couple other you know really strong candidates this month. Uh, you know, from the resurgence show, you had Moose versus Ishii, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Lance Archer. Uh, earlier in the month as well, the Chaos Trio when they defended their Never Six Man Tags against uh, Dangerous Techers and Suzuki. I think you rated all those matches above four stars. But the end of the month, man, Hiromu and Doki they put out you know a legit junior match of the year contender. Or oh yeah. Uh, a true banger, and uh, that is our match of the month for August. Yeah, and we will talk more about the the Doki, Doki and Hiromu match as we get to that show. But yeah, let's jump into the Summer Struggle show. So we have uh, three oh, I shows. I can't wait. <laughs> Cannot wait. <laughs> uh, three Summer Struggle shows that we'll talk about that happened last week, starting uh, Wednesday, August 25th. Uh, so we opened up with uh, Fujita and Oiwa in another uh 10-minute time limit draw. Now, now let me ask you something before we get into it. Do you think it's Oiwa or do you think it's Oiwa? Well, when it comes to pronunciations, pronounce, pronounce, I can't even say that word correctly, pronunciations of the wrestlers' names, I always try to go to the ring announcer. And I've listened very carefully to all <laughs> four shows last week. And to me, it sounded like he was saying Oiwa. I, to me, it sounds like he's saying Oiwa as well. And then I used four or five different pronunciation uh, websites, uh, even ones that have, like, variants. Like, you could put in the French pronunciation, the English pronunciation. You know what I'm saying? The, and then they have one specifically for Japanese. And they all say Oiwa. But there seems to be a little bit of a discrepancy there. I, I've heard Kevin Kelly saying Oiwa. Um, and maybe, I don't know, it, I don't speak the language, so it's, but I, you know, I'm, I'm just relying on my years of, uh, you know, anime watching <laughs> 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 to, 
to carry us through, but I think it's Oiwa. Yeah, I'm just I'm relying on the ring announcer. I'm relying on Milano Collection AT and whoever else is doing commentary with him at the time. Uh, to me, you you listen to Japanese commentary. For, for, for the most part, I mean, um, bro, I, I wait a day for my dog. <laughs> actually, I was actually behind, I was actually behind this week, so I think the first show I caught in Japanese, and then the last three these shows that we're talking about here, I think I caught all of these in English. People are gonna take that seriously. Like he doesn't like Japanese commentary. Click <laughs> <laughs> delete. <laughs> we got your download, kid. Wait till we start talking about women's wrestling. I love women's wrestling. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm going to shine next month <laughs> at the OCC Roadhouse. The, Dude, the, that new the, that new venue looks great. It's the new premier independent venue in the greater Tampa Bay area. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out all the pictures from uh, FIP this weekend. I didn't go, but look, like it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, uh, I I I sent Megan a. Uh, picture of the flyer for the shine show i was like you might like this it's all you know all female and she's like that chick in the center like they airbrushed the shit out of her (laughs) (laughs) and i was like yes they did (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah let's get into these shows and uh you know let's start off i guess we should talk about the new budding feud maybe a feud of the year consider i don't know between kosei fujita and ryohei oiwa yeah, so we had another 10-minute uh, time limit draw here. We talked about it last week with their first match. The the wrestling, the grappling is just so smooth and fluid. There is a aggressive edge to both of these guys. We're seeing you know more submission stuff of cross arm breakers and um, kimuras, uh, and we're, we're seeing like you know the near like knockout finishes. Guys getting mounted and just getting pummeled. Uh, until time runs out, like th- these guys are are awesome. Yeah, I mean, they opened the show all three days, so we don't need to, you know, go through it. Uh, the outcome of each match was the same every day. They went to a time limit draw. Um, like you said, just upping the violence, upping the intensity. This is actually something that's been criticized about the Nogue Dojo uh, by, for instance, Katsuyori Shibata said that like modern day young lions were sort of missing like that ruthlessness you know that that was something they soft yeah they (laughs) They don't have a ruthless aggression um but these guys definitely have it and they have it in spades and um you know there there was a little bit of you know a development each night little just story progressions like the first two nights kind of involved them like circling, 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 and then, you know, attacking the last two nights kind of involved them kind of slowing things down a little bit. They took, did a semicircle and then right into a strong lockup. Um, I, I noticed that the later matches kind of turned into a little bit more refined pro wrestling style matches, as opposed to the kind of um, unchained sort of relentless amateur style wrestling that you saw in the first two nights. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you mentioned, I will tell you this. I'm not opposed to the mount uh, to the, to the spot that they did where they're mounting and throwing elbow strikes, but they were excessive. And what I mean by that, it was to the point where the ref should have stopped it. 
Like if that was a real fight, that it was ref, too much. That ref would have probably lost his license for not taking care of the fighter. Yeah, it was something like twenty plus unprotected, you know, elbow shots where the guy's head is bouncing off the mat. Uh, so much so that I did listen to these in English, and like Kevin Kelly, you know, he's reacting in real time. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, he's like, stop the mat. <laughs> <laughs> he has a family. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was a spot that I personally was not a big fan of. I I'm not opposed to people, you know, working in some MMA stuff like that, but. They should still defend, and they probably shouldn't get hit that many times. But uh, I think it kind of added to the drama what they're trying to do. It's like they're trying to get the other one out of there, and they can't seem to get him out. They go for the pin. They can't, you know, so it kind of adds to the drama. But they, I think they should rein that spot in a little bit. Yeah, like he should have defended some more. And then, like, the last, maybe, like, last 10 or 5 seconds, like, he, he dropped his arms, and it's just like, bam, 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 and then it stops. And it's like, oh, man, he could have finished him if he had, like, 5 more seconds. Uh, the other thing, too, is each night you saw these guys play different roles, you know, um, different people being on top and being the aggressor throughout the match at different points, um, you know. Uh, I wish I could tell you who was closer to finishing who on each night. I'm still having a little bit of trouble differentiating Oiwa from Fujita at this point, but I did notice they were trading off who was coming close to finishing the match each night with their various submissions. And like you mentioned, a wide variety of submissions, not just your standard pro wrestling, you know, chin locks and headlocks, things like that. I mean, they really were working in a little bit more progressive um, MMA centric, you know, straight arm bars and, you know, stuff of that nature as well. Yeah, so I believe the the first night here it was Fujita who ended the match uh, with the advantage, and the second night it was Oiwa. Then the third night it was back to Fujita, Fujita and then the, the fourth night it was back to Oiwa. So they kind of like bounced back and forth with each guy. They didn't win, but they were in the dominant position, and they were the ones that got to bow in front of the crowd after the the time limit draw. And that's very typical of Gato's booking. We've seen this in the past, uh, you know, with guys that are sort of like career rivals. And, you know, just to hear Kevin Kelly break down the intrinsic link between these two guys, that they have similar backgrounds, that they, you know, debuted on the same night, that they passed their, uh, you know, um, enrollment into the dojo at the same time started the dojo at the exact same time so you know their careers are forever going to be linked going forward and to kind of see the genesis of that now and whatever that might blossom into down the road it's it's i think he's doing a really good job sort of just laying that narrative and kind of uh initiating the unfamiliar with that yeah and we had a question here from rambo and slam pig it says this new crop of young lions is fierce so far you mentioned on the show last week that their debut might be the best debut for Young Lions to date. Any other notable one to check out? What would be the runner-up? Uh, well, I mean, I see. The thing is, is like um, we didn't always live in a time where watching the Young Lions was always this accessible. You know, that's kind of a modern um, development brought along by new Japan world's advent, you know? Um, I mean, years and years ago, was it possible to catch a lion from, from time to time? Sure. But for the most part, you know, 
uh, you were tape trading. When you're tape trading, you weren't getting that many matches with Young Lions. You know, usually you were getting big selected matches off of big shows, or if you were getting a big show, like say a Tokyo Dome or you know some other dome show. I mean, you weren't really seeing those lines. I mean, uh, I do remember. I mean, there's plenty of footage now of guys like uh, you know Liger and Muto and Hashimoto and them when they like first you know started. But it wasn't always the case that you could just watch them develop and see their debuts and see their multiple draws. This is kind of a, a more modern thing. So, well, what um, about specifically like the crop that we've seen since we started this show at the end of 2017? At the end of 2017, I mean, realistically, what we've seen probably kind of starts with Suji and Yumura. And that's a, that's a that's a notable one because their matches were really, really good right off the bat. But um I mean, we've seen a lot of other lines kind of show up, but I can't think of any other debut matches since late 2017 that kind of are worth checking out aside from that one. Right. Uh, something we should uh, talk about. So we, uh, the other day, we ranked uh, the Young Lions based off of their their time as Young Lions, and that'd be pretty cool for us to talk about it on the air. Uh, yeah, you know, I was thinking the same thing, but I kind of forgot about it, so I'm glad you remi- <laughs> reminded of me. Um, so, I mean, our lists are pretty – we didn't even discuss them, and uh, what we came up with are pretty similar. So, I mean, I guess we can just run – so essentially there's been 19 Young Lions from late 2017 till now, uh, as, as long as you don't include, like, say, the New Zealand guys, which I really don't – We've seen them so, like, you know, sparsely. Yeah. Well, we have 20, but one spot is a tie. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, I mean, we can just go go down it real quick. So, at 19, we both have Yuto Nakashima. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, uh, he kind of seems to – he's going to factor into this, but, you know, at this point, he's only had one match, and he was only – he was injured, like, 15 seconds in. So, at this point, there's not much of a body of work <laughs> to kind of compare right, to. Right, but they've clearly been, you know – cutting the camera to him, highlighting him during these Oiwa and Fujita matches. So he'll be back in there soon. Uh, number 18, we both had uh, Teruaki Kanemitsu, who, you know, was sort of like the rival to um, to uh, Kawato when they were first Young Lions. He got injured, was out for a while, made a dramatic return, you know, years later, but he was only with the company for a few months before he, you know, dropped back out. Yeah. Um, after that 17, we got Hikaleo, which Young I think done. we're both, yeah, I think we're both more impressed with Hikaleo post sort of his graduation as opposed to his like, uh, you know, undergrad work. Yeah. He's improved a lot since kind of quote unquote, I don't you know, I guess, I guess he's kind of graduated from that young lion stage. Um, yeah, he's been doing a lot better. Um, 16, we both have Katsuya Kitamura, who I think we both saw a lot of potential in, but you know, he just wasn't around long enough to kind of capitalize on that. Right. I mean, obviously, great look, great size. We talked about last week him killing people with the spears and the jackhammer, having the, that trial match series. He was on a trajectory to potentially come back as a top star, but, you know, all the multiple reasons uh, why he dropped out. And here's where the differences kind of start cropping up between us. So, 15, I've got Yagi, uh, Tetsuhiro Yagi, who I thought had all the promise in the world. Another guy that, you know, just wasn't able to stick it out for whatever reason. He had some injuries and, yeah. Yeah, for me, for 15, I put the DKC. 
Um, you can see very good. Also, he has that kind of uh, karate and martial arts background. I think he's made a lot of improvements since he's joined the LA Dojo, and I'm sure by the even by the end of this year and going to next year, he will climb up this list. Uh, number 14, I've got Aaron Hanara. You're a little higher on him uh, first time as a young lion. Uh, for me, I thought he was a good lion. I just didn't think he was around long enough. You know, they kind of shot him up to graduation pretty quickly there. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's who I've got 14. The 14, I have Kevin Knight, another recent uh, debut from the L.A. Dojo on Strong. Again, he's been on Strong for a few months now. Looks real good, and he's continuing to improve. And again, just like uh, DKC, I think he will skyrocket up this list. Number thirteen, I've got DKC, so I'm not. I'm about two spots off uh, from where you're at with him. Then at thirteen, I had Yagi, and I, I, I just had to put him up a little bit up there just because of that that <laughs> banger him and Narita in the 2017 Young Lions Cup. He was killing it, and I, I wish he was still around. Yeah, I agree. Uh, number twelve, I've got Harai Kawato. So this is. One that probably surprised because, I mean, if you'd asked me years prior, I, I would have listed him as one of the highest lines. But the crops that have come post Kawato's era have just kind of blown past him. Yeah. Uh, number 12 for me, I have Aaron Hanare. And I, I might be slipping in some of that Ishii work in there to elevate him that high. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I, that's a little. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he had a lot of like strong style type matches, even as a young line. Um. Number 11, I've got Kevin Knight. I thought you did a good rundown with him, but I'm, I'm pretty impressed on him, so I'm a little a little more uh, bullish on him. At number 11, I have Kawato. I mean, he was, you know, the push guy, that the head of the class of, of, for that year, um, and was really good as a, a, a line. You know, he struggled as the, the Master Wato gimmick, but he showed a lot more promise kind of in that young line stage. He's getting his footing now, but um, I have him there at 11. And then, uh, interestingly enough, at number 10, we have a tie. Both of our lists, we have Oiwa and Fujita both listed. Now, keep in mind, we've only seen these guys wrestle four times at this point, and already we have them listed higher collectively than Kevin Knight, Kawato, DKC, Hanare, Yage, Kitamura, Hikaleo, Kenamito, and Nakashima. I mean, that's uh, that really tells you a lot about where we see these guys already just based off the four match body of work, 40 minutes of work that we've seen them. Right. So they keep going at the rate that they've been going. These four matches, these guys are going to, these guys are going to skyrocket up into that. Maybe even contend for like a top five. Yeah. So, I mean, that tells you a lot there Um, for the rest of this list. I'll just uh, read in order where I see everybody. So after, Oiwa and Fujita, I've got Coughlin, then Umino, then Oka, otherwise known as the Great Okan, Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, Yotsuji, Gabe Kidd, Ren Narita, and number one, I've got Yuya Yamura, although I think I could go flip-flop on Yamura or Narita easily. So for me, number nine, I have Alex Coughlin, number eight, Clark Connors, number seven, Shota Umino, Number six, Oka. Number five, Suji. Number four, Carl Fredericks. Number three, Gabriel Kidd. Number two, Yuyamura. And then for me, number one, Ren Narita. So if you notice, our lists are very, very, very similar uh, in terms of slotting, even if they're not exactly the same. I mean, generally speaking, there's kind of the line after Oiwa and Fujita and then the line before it. Um, 
And this is kind of just a, a current snapshot. I mean, obviously they could drop, uh, God forbid, if something you know were to happen and they don't live up to what where we think they are. But that's just kind of uh, a fun thing we did to kind of give you guys an idea where where we see these guys just based off the very limited amount of work that we've seen from them already. Yeah, these guys are incredible. If you haven't watched these matches or 10 minutes, I think it's definitely a kind of a go out of your way and check out these guys. Get in on the ground floor now because um, these guys, if they are, keep going the right that they're going and have great excursions, these guys are going to be stars. So um, moving on for the rest of the card, um, August 25th, Bullet Club's cutest tag team. Um, they defeated the Doki team or the Suzuki team of Doki and Minoru Suzuki. Really enjoyed the interactions between Phantasma and Suzuki. They borrowed a lot from the uh, Rev Pro inspired sort of, uh, you know, excursion work you see from Suzuki when he's over in Europe, you know, kind of being a menace to the Brits. I knew you liked that because Suzuki was laying them hands on ELP. That's yeah, he's that. fucking that man up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, funny thing here though, is like, you know, Doki, uh, I thought this was worth mentioning, you know, Doki's got a big match coming up at the end of the week against Hiromu. And part of me was thinking, you know, maybe there's a chance that some other outcome other than him eating the pinfall might be in play because they want to build him up. But nope, this man ate a sudden death. One, two, three, go to hell, Doki. Yeah. I think the issue here, I'll see these guys of the junior tag champs are going into a title match. Uh, this coming weekend, so you couldn't, couldn't beat the champs. Right. Uh, after that, we had Mock Band Yano. They defeated the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Jado by disqualification. So we've been seeing a lot of DQs between Yano and Chase Owens in all their various tag team matches. Then the um, semi-main event. Oh, go ahead. And, and I was going to say, you know, I've kind of got these different shows jumbled up. There was like a big beatdown on one of these shows shows it might have been the show i cannot remember but uh things have really been escalating in a violent way between yano and uh chase owens um after that we had the united empire team of great okan and jeff cobb they defeated uh kazushika okada and tomoaki hanma um very similar matches each night between these two tag teams and one thing i'm noticing is uh the pattern of the matches we get to a point where Jeff Cobb and Okada are usually in the ring together. Okada's generally not the legal man. And uh, Jeff Cobb will lay him out. In many cases, it seems to be centered around him using the uh, pile, or the uh, tombstone pile driver on Okada. Not always, but generally that's kind of the um, pattern. Okada usually rolls out of the ring. He's left incapacitated, two-on-one. And uh, Okada's various partners are getting you know, sent to hell with a tour of the islands. Yeah. And specifically on this tour, Cobb has been using the, the rip cord or a rainmaker into the tour of the islands. And, you know, Kevin Kelly has been pushing that as the, the kind of the secret to beat Okada. Cause normally tour of the islands, he, he throws them off the rope. So now he's introduced a new way to get people into the tour of the islands. So he's been winning with that rip cord toward the island. He's been calling himself, I believe the, the Aloha maker, um, yeah, he kind of promo on one of these nights. I mean, it's obviously we normally do get the uh, post-match Great Ocon promo, which is great. But there was one night where uh, Jeff Cobb, and granted, he's been pretty improved with, with uh, promos, but we haven't really seen too many live promos in front of the crowd. And he was like, good people of Japan. <laughs> 
this is a monsoon season. I will end the rain. No more rain. And I was like, this is a god-awful problem. <laughs> 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 I like Jeff Cobb as more like the silent brooding, you know, going to fuck you up type. I don't like him being like, good people of Japan. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Offer's not there. Somebody's got to cut the English promos. Nah, just Okan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that, uh, and then the main event here, we had an eight man tag team elimination match, uh, the cast team of Goto Eagles and Yoshihashi, along with Tiger Mask, they defeated the Suzuki Goon team of Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru and Zack Sabre Jr. And also I was thrown off when I, I didn't realize it was an elimination match at first mm-hmm. and it took a really long time for any eliminations to happen. And then when someone got eliminated, I was like, wait a second, this is an elim- normally it's a, a 10 man elimination. I, I, I don't remember them doing too many eight-man tag team eliminations, so. Yeah, and this was a uh, a fun uh, eight-man tag here. Um, Chaos team, uh, Goto got the win at the end. I believe it was Goto and Taichi at the end, and uh, Goto got the win for the Chaos team. So then nice. we move so on. So it's going to take us to the 26th. Yeah, once again, we open up with a 10-minute time, time, time limit draw with Fujita and Oiwa. Then the second matchup, we had Hiroshi Tenzon and Master Wato defeating the team of Robbie Eagles and Tomioka Hanma. So this was a preview match for the coming up Wato and Eagles singles match on Friday. Yep. Then we had a six-man tag. We had Doki and the Dangerous Techers defeating Goto, Yoshihashi, and Tiger Mask. Semi-main event, Bull Club's cutest tag team. They defeated uh, Despi... Suzuki and Kanemaru, they were also they were teamed up with Jado. And then the main event was Great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeating Okada and Kojima, which I believe this is where we got that uh that Cobb promo you were talking about. The, yes, that must have been it. And also this was another one where like Kojima's got a big match coming up and uh you know, he's another it's it's another example where maybe hypothetically you could have possibly maybe had Great Okan eat the pinfall, but they you know, Kojima, dad status. He put out a tweet and he's like, I can't believe I, I took the pinfall today. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like, I wonder what John Moxley thinks about me. <laughs> I lost <Yeah>. today. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. John Moxley. <laughs> Mr. John Moxley. <laughs> um, and then um, Friday, we kind of got what I would consider like the the actual big Cork and Hall show of this kind of four show run. And if you notice each night, I mean, bro, we, we don't talk about it too much on the show because it's like a reoccurring talking point, but like the attendances have been just like minuscule, like, you know, pretty bad. All of a sudden, Hiromu wants to come back Friday the 27th. They're packed. Crowd lit. Rafters. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Full pack Cork and Hall house, sold out house, you know, also the big draw. Hiromu's comeback match. Yeah, you know, two. That, Doki drew that house. Uh, <laughs> Hiromu needs to thank Doki for the house. You know yeah, what I'm saying? We, we all need to thank Doki for the house. But yeah, this is kind of, you know, this is the, the last show of Summer Struggle. Ended it off in a great way with this Hiromu return night, full house. Again, opened up with Vegeta and Oiwa having a 10 minute time limit draw. We talked about their, their series of matches. Then we had uh, Suzuki and the Dangerous Techers. They defeated Goto Yoshihashi and Rizuki Gucci in a very short matchup. It was three minutes, 32 seconds. 
Yeah, because Taguchi was uh, on that fuck shit, and you know Suzuki, Taichi, and Zach were like, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, Suzuki's like, hey, I need my rest. I'm doing my American G1 of the Indies. I don't, I don't got time to be playing around. Hit that man with a holy Zach driver. Let's get out of here. Yeah, I think Zach just hit him. Wasn't a holy Zach driver, or did Zach just hit him with a Zach driver? I yeah, think was, Zach just no. Uh, Taichi super kicked him in the back. Of oh, okay. Head. Yeah, and then uh, Zach dropped him with the driver. Yeah, so that was that was refreshing to kind of see a quick match like that. And then um, afterwards, Okan and Cobb defeated Okada and Togi Makabe. Similar, uh, you know, formula that we discussed earlier. So, you know, this man Okan and uh, this man Cobb just running roughshod of Okada and friends. And then um, that brings us to the semi-main event, the first singles match of the night. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight uh, Champion, Robbie Eagles, as he defeated Master Watto, uh, who was accompanied by Tenzan, 17 minutes, 32 seconds. Um, Jeremy, what did you think of this match? I thought this was a really good matchup here. You know, over the the year since Watto's debut, they've kind of in and out spotlighted him in big moments, and he hasn't always come through. Well, I thought he came through here. Big semi-main event moment against the champion, uh, told a great story. You know, Robbie Eagles likes to set people up for that Ron Miller special, which targets the leg. Uh, there was a spot in the match where Watto hits a kick to the ring post, which kind of was the open for Eagles to start working on the leg to set up the, the Ron Miller. But Watto had a lot of great spots in the match, uh, great torneo, um, just a lot of great um, Harris's and Hurricane Ronalds, and just a lot of great back-and-forth sequences with Robbie Eagles, and I thought you know, it wasn't a carry job. I don't think Eagles, like, carried him. I thought Watto held his own and looked really good here. Yeah, um, I would go as far as to say, in my opinion, this is the single best singles match of Watto's entire career. And if you go look at the ratings on cage match, it seems that the majority of the cage match voters agree with me on that point. Um, you know, I'm not going to oversell this and say it was blow away match of the year caliber. It wasn't, but it didn't need to be. This was a semi main event spot. And it was a spot where, you know, Watto obviously is not going to beat the junior champion, you know, a week out from, uh, you know, his big title defense against Hiromu Takahashi. Right. Uh, so it, it wasn't a situation where Watto was expected to win, but what he did go out there and do was he looked confident. He looked comfortable. He looked fluid. He looked like he was having fun. He took chances. There was no botches. They told a great story. It was compelling. I mean, this for what it was, was a really, really good, just over 15 minute, you know, preview match for Robbie Eagles and master Watto. And this was like the first time that, I left a Watto match feeling optimistic about him again as as a performer, you know, and it's been a long time. I remember we're talking years since I felt that way about Watto. I, um, when he first came in the company and he was doing all those cool dives and, and stuff and, you know, you and some of our friends were kind of like really getting into him, but he still had all those glaring botches. Well, this was kind of the opposite. He still had all that cool stuff, but then the little things in between, he was also putting those together, which was kind of refreshing to see. Really good match. Um, I would have probably gone somewhere between three and a half, three and three quarters, probably three and three quarters on it, honestly. I thought it was a a, a hell of a performance from both guys. Robbie Eagles looked great. And, um, you know, they went out there and they just 
told a great story uh, centered around the leg. Really liked it. Yeah, and Watson had a lot of great spots in that depends on uh, Tombstone Driver for, for a near fall at one point, going for the RPP where he missed that. Uh, Eagles hits him with the turbo backpack, hits the 450 on the leg, then locks in the Ron Miller special and gets the submission victory. And the one thing I liked about this was early on in the match, Watto seemed to really be effective and in control and was really uh, aggressive on the outside. But that kind of became his undoing as he tried to throw a head kick at Robbie Eagles on the outside when he was against uh, a pole. Yeah. Robbie, being very aware of his surroundings, dodged it. And that caused Watto to kick the, the pole, which led to him selling the leg the rest of the match. And that was kind of his undoing. So he kind of even has a little bit of an out there for the story. And I thought his selling was really effective in the match as well. Just, uh, you know, we joke a lot about Watto. He's kind of the you know, punchline to a lot of people's jokes. But uh, if you haven't seen this match, I would recommend it because I, I think it's a good sign for things to come for him, honestly. Yeah. Hopefully, anyways. Really good match here. I was uh, 3.75 on it. Where were you on it? Uh, like I said, somewhere between 3.5, 3.75, but I, I think I could be talking to that uh, little bit higher rating there, three, 3.75 probably, yeah. Nice. So then that takes us to the main event of the evening. We had the Hiromu Takahashi comeback match as he took on Doki. Uh, 29 minutes, 43 seconds. I believe this was Doki's longest match. Uh, Hiromu comes out here, has the, the welcome back poster that fans signed on the way into the arena. That was a really cool moment just to see his new outlandish, you know, draping quilt slash Technicolor robe. I don't know. It's like Joseph in the coat of many colors, but it's Hiromu in the coat of many colors. He's come home, <laughs> prodigal son. And then, uh, yeah, uh, apparently Kevin Kelly was saying that the fans that attended the Cork and Hall show that day all signed the banner. Yeah. So that was that was a really cool moment for sure. Yeah, that's funny. I thought like one of the things that just said like superhero, <laughs> like signed <laughs> so there. So uh, what do you but, think about this matchup, man? Dude, this match, you know, we already were kind of on a good trajectory because the match prior to it, you know, exceeded my expectations. And then Hiromu and Doki go out there and they they go out there and they they do what only Hiromu and Doki can both do. Um, you know, there's a lot of backstory to this match, you know, the kind of like with Hiromu mentioning how when he first made his excursion, made his way out to Mexico it was sort of the styling of Doki that he modeled himself after. And, you know, he kind of borrowed liberally from his moveset and his style of wrestling to kind of establish himself in Mexico, um, which kind of became the genesis of the Hiromu ticking time bomb character that we know today. Um, so there's kind of that aspect of it and sort of just the different trajectories of their career. And now they're kind of back together. And then even Doki coming out, I mean, he really treated this like a, a big special thing yeah, for him. I mean, big, big match gear. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about like, we remember just a couple years ago, um, Rocky was really celebrated for having his first ever main event in Cork and hall against, uh, uh, ELP, you know, he'd been with the company for years. I mean, Doki's only been with the company a couple years. And to my knowledge, this is his first really major main event in Cork and hall, which is really exciting. And I mean, what better guy to do it with than Hiromu? 
And so, yeah, he treated it as such. And I don't know if you noticed, not only was it big match gear, but he had worked in the Kamatachi yeah. s- sort of um, colors and, and designs as well. And if you guys aren't aware, Kamatachi is the character or persona that uh, Hiromu Takahashi had donned when he was in Mexico. So, you know, kind of Doki paying tribute to that aspect of their history as well and kind of bringing that into play in this match. So, I mean, even before the match started, just a lot of kind of like groundwork was laid there. It was really cool with that. But once the match started going, boy, did these these guys did some crazy Crazy Bro, stuff. especially Doki. We, we talk about all time. This man is not going back. This man was busting out Asai Moonsault. That crazy dive where Hiromu is in like the, the gateway to the crowd. And he dives from the top rope to where Hiromu is and hits, um, you know, bashes up against the uh, the guardrail on the way down. Uh, well, that move is, is a move that Doki basically, you know... Uh, was sort of the innovator of, and Hiromu kind of took it from him. We've seen Hiromu do that for years, but Doki was like, no, 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 hold my beer. Let me show you how it's done. Yeah, but I think that's, <laughs> that's the furthest I think I've ever seen him do it. Yeah, that flying back senton, uh, that was awesome. W- when he hit his arm on that guardrail, I was like, oh, that could easily be broken. Like, yeah. that looked horrible. I mean, it was an awesome spot, but man... <laughs> <laughs> that, that man didn't care. <laughs> this man was no. throwing it all on the line here in this Cork and Hall main event. Because, um, bro, what's the alternative, you know? He's going to be having to wrestle in the junkyard in Zona, you know, 23. Like, he's not he's not trying to do all that, you know what right. I'm saying? Um, a lot of great uh, near submissions with the Italian stretch uh, 32, a.k.a. the Doki Chokey. Uh, man, that's a double armbar. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> 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 uh Hiromu hitting the uh, the sunset bomb was uh, another great spot there. Just there's just so many you know great back and forth like high risk high uh, maneuver spots from these guys. Um, the diving double stomp uh, that Doki did to Hiromu at one point looked pretty gnarly. Yeah, uh, this match just went on and on. I mean, they had a really crazy death defying match in the late part of last year during the best of the Super Juniors. But I think that match was in the middle of the card, didn't get quite the amount of time that it deserved, although I thought it was one of the best matches of that tournament. And this match just built upon that and then took it to the nth degree. And, man, what a return for Hiromu. What a coming out party for Doki. Um, People were raving about this, you know, as it happened. And And, uh, uh, another crazy spot, too, was uh, towards the end where we're, we're getting some one counts where uh, Hiromu hits a German and a Lariat, and then Doki kicks out at one, and then Doki does the same thing. Hiromu kicks out at one, and even though the crowd's not allowed to cheer, you can tell like they were like losing their mind. They were getting into it. I was losing my mind uh, here watching it. Like This match was just so awesome. Yeah, just so awesome. Ultimately, Hiromu gets rid of Doki, hits him with Time Bomb 2. If you notice, he didn't go for the Dynamite Plunger. He didn't fuck around with the Time you know, Bomb the 1. Time Bomb 1. He didn't try he the like, D. No, no D. He's like, I got to get this man out of here because he's not going away. Hold this. Bow. <laughs> One, two, three. And you know. this was a 30-minute uh, time limit match. And like I mentioned, uh, went uh, 29 minutes and 43 seconds. That you know was crazy? I don't think I 
realized how close they were to coming to a time limit draw. Yeah, the, you know that the announcer was like, you know, five minutes left, three minutes Dude, I, left. <laughs> I think, I think, as crazy as it sounds, I think I was so engrossed with the action that I wasn't paying attention to the calls. Mm. And nor- normally, the calls are kind of your dead giveaway. Once you start getting down to the time limit, you're like, oh, you know. But that never happened for me. I, I, I'm sure other people probably picked up on it, but until literally on the air here that you mentioned it, I didn't even pick up on that aspect of the narrative at all. Yeah, so I think it's a, a really big, you know, spot for Doki here. This big main event, almost 30 minutes, you know, almost going to a draw with the the top junior in the division. Uh, great moment here I, for Doki. I mean, what are you thinking, Doki in the G1? Hey, I mean. <laughs> At the rate spots are flying out, like I said last week, this man Doki, he's trying, he's going for it all. Give him a G1 spot, give him a Super Junior spot, give him a World Tag League spot. He's gonna go out there and kill himself every night. Yeah, what what an awesome match again! Our August match of the month, and I mean, when you consider that this match, in our estimation, outdid Tanahashi and Archer, outdid Ishii and Moose. That's really high praise. I think it's a legitimate. Junior match of the year candidate, honestly. Yeah. Had a question here from Reddit user Mitch MM22. Is it time to push Doki? They've been pushing Doki. It's just <laughs> they, they don't push him the way that, that American fans are used to, you know? Yeah. Uh, in, in, my, in my opinion, I think that the Doki push kind of started with that six-man chaos tag team match where the story was kind of like a, a centered around Doki. That was the first time where I was like, oh, okay, they're, they're like going in with this guy. Right. They're giving him more stories. He's getting more time to talk in the post match promos. Yeah. They're doing more angles with him. So I, I think, yeah, the push it, it started, obviously they're not going to put the junior title on him, you know, tomorrow, but he's definitely in on kind of on that path to being elevated. Listen, man, I'll put it to you this way. Some people are Taka guys. Some people are Kanemaru guys. There's a lot of people that are Desperado guys. But as for me, I'm a Doki guy, all right? <laughs> uh, another question from front of the show, Dan Coffin. He says, Doki versus Roderick Strong in a loser has to go back match. Who wins? I I don't understand the Roderick Strong reference, but it, maybe it's because, because I haven't because, watched. Because Roderick Strong ain't going back to the trailer parks. He ain't going back to the old life. That man, that man was here to stay in NXT and was going to kill himself. They had they had well, those like those vignette promos where he talked about his his rough you know upbringing here in Tampa and growing up in the trailer parks and the, he he wasn't going back to any of that. Bro, I've never seen those. <laughs> <laughs> it was back when he was um, getting ready to face uh, Robert Roode for the NXT title. Uh, they, I don't remember that. Either. <laughs> it was a TV match. <laughs> Oh, man, I don't remember any of that. That's funny. But uh, Doki versus Roderick Strong, I mean, I'll pay for that, you know? Yeah, dude. I'm I, down. That that would be a pretty sick match. Uh, I don't know who – I mean, uh, both those guys would, would go balls to the wall in that match. I don't know who would. There there was a time where, like, my one of my favorite tag pairings, and we didn't get it enough, but, like, I, w- I always really liked the idea of, like, Suzuki and Desperado as a tag team. Mm. But we, they, we do get them as a tag team periodically but like now i'm all about suzuki and doki <laughs> yeah they're the pretty dope tag team um but yeah as far as uh, uh before we move on mitch was talking about time to push him 
Um, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of that question. I think what he was kind of implying is it time for him to get even more, you know, start maybe accumulating some wins, maybe start being treated as a serious threat, you know, that sort of thing. And I think we're not too far off from that point. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him start facing, you know, Oiwa and Vegeta, getting some wins off of those guys. I'm not sure what the structure for the G1 card is going to be. I know last year there was no undercards, but if they do do undercards, I could see him being, you know, opening match guy, you know, beating Vegeta, beating Oiwa, beating somebody, you know, that's low on the totem pole. Nah, bro. He needs to start beating, like, Watto. Okay. Tenzon. Makabe. Yeah. No <laughs> 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 uh, we, uh, we can move on, but this match was awesome. So, yeah. um, I, I, where, where'd, where'd you go on this, uh, Snowflakes? I'm four and a half. I'm also four and a half. Really good. Um, New Japan Pro Wrestling announced Sunday that Stardom has matches set for both nights of September's upcoming Wrestle Grand Slam. They will air live for the first time ever on New Japan World, complete with English commentary. First time ever. Yeah, so Dom, we want to ask any thoughts on the NJPW World debut of Stardom matches? Young boy, what do you think? We're going to have Stardom. You know, it's going to be so great to see this stuff live. I mean, I get so annoyed with my Stardom World subscription. (laughs) Just, you know, I want to watch a big show, and then instead of putting the whole show out or let me watch it live, they put them out, you know, in just clips with each match individually. That's really frustrating Mm. for me. You mean Um, you didn't catch the, uh, the Road 2 show they put up on their YouTube channel this weekend? They don't do that. That's a trick question. No, it's it's actually not. <laughs> All right. Well, no, I didn't. Um, I, I I'm on the you know I watch the big shows. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> Queen Queendom uh, Quest. Queen Queen's Queendom, Quest. No, Queendom Quest is a show. You never heard of it? They do those. Uh, um, young, young boy Gal- showing start- his uh, expertise of stardom. Stardom Galaxy World, the Minami Toyota, uh, you know, <laughs> challenge. I love, you know, I love Joshi. You know, that's my shit. Sure it is. <laughs> uh, but I'm really excited that we're going to get a chance to see these matches here live on New Japan World. You know, we've had several Stardom matches, but they've all have been dark. We've seen some, uh, the Madison Square Garden show um, in New York. I went to the Stardom show that happened that weekend also in New York, and that show was awesome as well, and I've been keeping up with it. You guys can listen to uh, One Nation Radio here on the network. James Boyd, Rachel, they do an excellent job covering Stardom. Uh, they're in the middle of the five-star Grand Prix. And yeah, this is a pretty big deal. Stardom has been on the rise. They've been doing bigger building, bigger houses. There's been a lot more buzz. There's been a lot more like English translation and just a lot of more Western interest especially after uh the shuri and um like on the otami matchup so yeah i'm I'm pretty pumped up for this yeah i'm the one that put you on to that match um (laughs) (laughs) see you thought i was gonna lean in the other way and say the cerulean mat was sacred you know can't have them selling you know the good name of new japan but i'll just try to get you to be yourself i'm being myself right now i love Stardom. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but no, I uh, I look forward to this. Um, you know, truth be told, I've got very limited uh, exposure to the Stardom product just in general. Um, I know some of the names based off of listening to One Nation Radio, but very, very. I'm, I mean, I don't know much about it at all. Uh, but I'm. I think that's really cool. You know, um, they've done these. You know, these kinds of matches in the past at Wrestle Kingdoms, but. You know, the very fact that we couldn't see them kind of meant that they were sort of like a non-factor. Um, so even if the live crowd isn't like, let's say, gung-ho or, you know, the wildest or most receptive, the fact that the home audience will get to kind of see this on New Japan World, that really brings a lot of exposure, a lot of eyes uh, and attention to that product. And I mean... I'm, I, I wouldn't be opposed to them continuing to have crossover promotion and matches. Um, you know, I'm not saying necessarily that they have to have, like, New Japan stuff on stardom shows, although maybe that could be cool, I guess. But, like, you know, them maybe building to having big matches on, you know, like, say, a Dominion or maybe G1 Finals or something like that. That's, that kind of stuff could be cool, you know? Yeah, I'm totally down with that. Definitely a great way to expose stardom to the New Japan fan base. Obviously, still, they're both owned by the same parent company, Bushi Road. So it, it works out for, you know, and both promotions are doing really well. So I think, you know, using that over 100,000 New Japan World subscribers to, you know, get some eyes on stardom is, is a great business move. Uh, we had a question from Reddit user Dirty Bubble. With, a wrestle, with the Wrestle Grand Slam stardom matches going live on NJPW World, are there any forbidden doors left to open? When are we seeing intergender wrestling in New Japan? I would be down for a Shingo Takagi versus Mayu Iwatani match. That sounds awful. Why do you want Mayu to get murdered? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that match would be Shingo hitting pumping bombers and Mayu bumping on her neck. No, the match that needs to happen is Tomohiro Ishii versus Jungle Kiona. <laughs> That that would be a pretty good matchup. Uh, um, yeah, not, not not a big fan of the intergender. I'm gonna say we've you know New Japan's done intergender though. Right, uh, Joni Lauer, aka China, was a intergender matchup. Yeah, and she sucked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think we're gonna see the the intergender forbidden door opened anytime soon. Uh, the, the only forbidden door that's left to open is the, the forbidden door f- between um, domestic promotions. Yeah, Chaco Pro. Yeah, Gato Move, where you are the ropes. Yeah, we need to get some Gato Move. That's what they need to do to round out this year's G1, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's talk about Wrestle Grand Slam. We have two big nights coming up this weekend, September 4th and September 5th in the MetLife Dome. So we'll go through the cards for both nights, give our, our preview and our prediction. So let's look at night one. The show is going to open up with the Flying Tigers, Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask taking on LIJ, Bushi, and Hiromu. And I should note, Bushi and Shingo cleared from COVID to compete on these shows here for Wrestle Grand Slam. All the guys that were on quarantine are also cleared and are back on this card. So Bushi back in action here. Teaming for Romans is a preview match for Eagles versus Roman for night two. Yeah. Um, so Flying Tiger versus LIJ. Uh, 
considering everyone that's in it, this should be a really good, fun, fast-paced opener. Um, I'm thinking Tiger Mask takes the pinfall here, but you got two pin eaters, so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously, Bushi could also lose. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Eagles could pin Bushi. I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, Bushi just coming back off uh, of COVID. You know, a lot of times pure promotions like to let the play into people coming back from sickness and injuries, kind of losing their first match back. They're still, you know, playing, coming back from the weakness sometimes. Not New Japan. They didn't do it with Yo. They're not going <laughs> to do it with anyone else. <laughs> uh, I'm going yeah, to go with Eagles getting the win over Bushi to make him look, you know, Really strong because I think in everybody's eyes, Hiromu is still you know the top dog, the top the guy, guy, and it's probably the favorite going into night two. So I think you need to give Eagle a little bit more edge here. Yeah, and you know we forgot to mention post match after. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the highlight afterwards. Yeah, the highlight after Doki and Hiromu, uh, Robbie Eagles kind of came out. You know they did the face off, but then at that point. Um, and I actually didn't read this with all the captions, so I'm just kind of going to give you my uh, initial kind of um, impression. So basically, Hiromu started Im- imploring um, that <laughs> Robbie Eagles give him a moment alone with uh, the IWGP junior title. Well, that Bel- Beltosan. Yeah. Beltosan. And he started having a conversation with himself but also speaking in the voice of Beltosan, <laughs> you know, basically being like, yo, come back with me. And he's like, yo, why you leave me? And he's like, cause I got injured. He's like, now nah, you soft. And he's like, I'll win you back. He's like, you better. And Robbie Eagles is just like, this guy's crazy. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then, you know, he's like, please, please, please don't take him away. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, if you want more time with the belt, then beat me on Sunday. He's like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so I have some of the translation here. So apparently, uh, Beltosan was mad at being vacated twice due to. Oh, so I'm, I'm not that far off from <laughs> what, what what they actually were saying. Yeah, so yeah, Beltosan was mad at being vacated twice due to Hiromu uh, getting injured. Was kind of because because he because he, he's soft, like I said. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, Hiromu uh, busting out the English, you know, asking, you know, please. You know, one minute, <laughs> and they, they use the uh, the cork and clock to kind of time the minute. And they're waiting for like an exact time to start over. Like as soon as he's like, okay, 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 he's like going and like tucking real fast. And yeah, that, that was a funny little segment there. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, what? I'll ride with you here. Uh, I think Robbie Eagles could use the boost. So uh, we say he uh, taps out Bushi, and uh, you know, kind of keeps people wondering. It does. You know, Hiromu just coming back from uh, injury and just coming off of a war with Doki have enough in him to get this belt back. Yeah. So the next matchup, Rapungi 3K collides. The battle for Karen Sensei's heart. <laughs> Yo versus Show. So this is um this is one that's interesting. I mean, we kind of speculated where this feud might be heading. And obviously this is the first of possibly numerous matches between the two, but it's hard to know in the short term, if this is sort of like a one-off and 
you know, this is kind of just the decider. And after this, they're split and they'll always just refer to the history. Or if we're getting something a little more involved, like an actual blood feud that will have a, you know, a concentrated series of matches, which isn't always New Japan's MO. I get the feeling and fear. I have an apprehension about this match because, and maybe it's because we've been abused by Western style wrestling, but, you know, we see these times where, you know, uh, a team will be teamed up for a long time. They'll run the angle, they'll split them up and then they'll do the, the big blow off match on pay-per-view. And then that's kind of it. It's just kind of settled right then and there. And it's like, we did it. And then they just sort of branch those guys off. And I feel like this sort of breakup is so much, or at least should be considering all the history and all the fandom and backstory and everything should be something bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And, but it feels like there's so little hype and fanfare going into the show and the match. Obviously it's a big stage, but I'm wondering like, is show just going to beat yo and then they're off to the races. They're on their merry way. And we don't, you know, see them squaring off again until like, say a super juniors. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a lot of different ways it can go here. Um, I, I think part of the problem is the fact that the breakup happened on those, those summer struggle shows where, a lot of people weren't really tuning into those, so I feel like that's kind of part of the reason why this doesn't feel as hot or, or kind of cold going into this show here. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're gonna do here. Um, my my other thing is like, okay, obviously there's a lot of talent here. Um, if you look at the history between Show and Yo, prior to their excursion, they were kind of each other's foils. The same way how we're talking about Fujita and Oiwa sort of being each other's foils. That's what, you know, uh, Sho and Yo were for one another. And they wrestled each other extensively in singles matches prior to their excursion. So, and then, you know, all the ring time they've spent training together, wrestling together across the world. They know each other very well. So, you know, I have no fears about what they could potentially do in the ring. But my concern is... Right now, it's slotted, you know, just after the opener. They're probably going to get, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe. Right. Um, it just feels like this is sort of like a middle-of-the-card afterthought sort of match. And maybe it's not. Maybe I'm – Maybe, but, you know, it's right now it looks like it's right after the – or, you know, just before the KOPW. And that's not very inspiring in my – <laughs> you know, to me, right? Yeah, it seems like they're they're not going to get an, another time here, which to me might scream angle alert. I know there's a lot of people who think Show is joining the United Empire. We saw um, Aaron Hanare kind of retweet when Show att- attacked Yo and the breakup happened. So, and a lot of people are dead set that you know, you know, United Empire needs a junior, and, and Show could be that guy. There was also I saw a tweet where someone who had a better I, I can't say who because I don't remember unfortunately I'd love to give him credit but I saw someone talk about one of those post match or yeah post match interviews that uh um Great Okan does and there was sort of a play on words that hinted at the idea that maybe Show could be joining up with them um, so that's on the table the other thing too is taking into consideration what led to the breakup. And it had a lot to do with Yo sort of being the weak link of the team, Show getting fed up and feeding him to the wolves and kind of getting him out there. I'm wondering if that's going to be 
kind of played out in the story of this match as well. You know, that show is the aggressor, you know, Yo's kind of taking a more docile sort of, um, regretful attitude here. Obviously he didn't want to break up. He wasn't expecting this. And, you know, it doesn't seem like his heart is fully invested in beating show at this point, but show's kind of just done with yo. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, he could come in kind of, kind of maybe blitz, I mean, this is a squash match. I and mean, he kind of, kind of just blitzes yo and puts him away pretty quickly. That could happen, you know, but I think a lot of people are wondering what's next for yo, you know, and that's always kind of been the question. The, the one time in the whole history of their teaming, where it started to feel like, okay, maybe there, there is a, a greater trajectory for him where he felt like the hot one when, was when he first came back from his long injury, which was just recently. And they kind of threw the cold water on that pretty quick. Um, but, you know, with show, I mean, you can go through the long history of, <laughs> of their teaming and you look back and, I mean, think about like the Shingo feud. You think about like that new Japan cup when he finally beat Shingo, you think about the singles matches he had with guys like Romu and dragon Lee and ELP. And I mean, like he's just overachieved time and time again and had lots of really big moments. I'm wondering if yo doesn't need something coming out of this. Maybe, maybe it's the sympathy like you're talking about. I don't know. And and maybe, maybe this, this whole story is, for Yo to find himself. So he loses here and then has to go on a journey to find himself. And then maybe, you know, down the line, at the end of the year, they meet up in Super Juniors and he's a different Yo and he, he's ready to face Yo. And it doesn't mean it has to be this way, but we've seen the long history of teams breaking up and one guy kind of getting the, the rocket pack strapped to his back and the other guy kind of drifting off into whatever you know, the future holds for him, but sometimes it's, you know, obscurity. And I'm not saying that that's the case for showing yo, but like, you know, we've even talked to people that have a little bit more insight to this. And they've talked about how yo, you know, is kind of aware that people call him, you know, the Marty Gennetti of the team that people kind of, you know, within the company have the, these certain aspirations for show and how that kind of affects his psyche, how that affects, you know, um, his self view. And it's sort of like some of that is being reflected in this, uh, you know, it's sort of like life imitating art. Yeah. I don't, or art imitating life. I don't know, but, um, it's going to be really interesting. I think that what you said there is probably right. I think there's a good, good chance that we see a, uh, you know, a big angle alert. Um, and you know, it's also going to, called a question what does this mean for the great like the what the greater picture of like chaos as a whole mm. you know because obviously this is sort of like their you know cornerstone tag team for the juniors and if show obviously it doesn't seem like show can fit into chaos any longer yeah um, it, sounds, it sounds like based off like like the chaos six man's like post-match promo it sounds like show is out of there and so yeah it's like does this create a an open door for yo to sort of branch out and do something or is this a, a an indicator or sign of the weakening nature of chaos as a whole because you know we've talked for a long time about how chaos has seemed less and less like a unit in general and then this is another demoralizing you know event that's kind of happening yeah we've seen that kind of blurring of the lines between chaos and huntai 
Uh, we really don't see. I mean, also the six-man unit teams a lot, and there's a lot of multi-mans that build their matches, but you don't really see the full unit. You really don't see Okada that a tunnel affect the whole group a lot either, and it seems like chaos could go in a different direction. Yeah, um, that that will be interesting to see. But uh, I think we both got show pencil in here. I think this is something where I'm I'm very invested into what happens, but I'm also kind of hesitant just because I'm like, ah, I hope that they, you know, I hope the Gato of old gives us something that's gold. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, third matchup on the card, we have the KOPW. I quit match between champion Chase Owens and the challenger Toro Yano. Now, I know I made jokes uh, in previous weeks about them doing a strap match slash I quit match, you know, with blindfolds and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? They keep introducing that um, strap post match and in the matches. I'm not going to be surprised if through the course of this I quit match, we do see them. Uh, heavily use that strap as part of the match. Yeah, strap can come and play. I believe, you know, Yano's used like a kendo stick at one point, kind of bringing back that death match, Yano. So I think we're going to see um, a lot of weapons. I feel like this match might death, be... Death match, Yano. <laughs> I feel like this match might be like more like a, you know, like a hardcore match than a kind of a goofy, you know, Yano that we're used to. Well, you know, the last match between um, Chase Owens and Toriano in my opinion, really over-delivered and was probably the best KOPW match to date. And, you know, they've done a good job building this up. I don't know how many people actually care about it because it's Chase Owens and Toriano. Yeah. But the mere fact that they've got it third from the top says to me that they are probably expecting something a little bit more than just the standard KOPW fare here. Yeah, and you know what? It, we'll know it's... uh. Yano's serious if he comes out with the red hair. Uh, <laughs> um, but what are you thinking here? I mean, the the big question is, if Yano wins it, we're back right where we have always been with KOPW. We kind of know what the future holds because it's Yano, and that's a little bit more predictable. If Chase wins this, I'm assuming that kind of takes Yano away from him. Of course, they could always revisit it down the line, especially post-G1. But um, it also opens the door for KOPW to kind of, you know, transform into something a little differently than just the Toriano show and maybe be treated in a different light, maybe more seriously. I don't know. I'm going to go with the the Texas heavyweight champ here, go with Chase Owens. You know, if the rumors are true, he slotted in for the G1. And, you know, I think he probably needs a little bit more of momentum going into that tournament. And I am going to go with old faithful Toriano just for this one old adage. You don't bet against Toriano when KOPW is on the line. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Semi-main event, we have the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada versus the Aloha Maker Jeff Cobb of the United Empire. Big rematch here. Um, their interactions in the multi-mans have been great. Really looking forward to this one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this quite a bit as well. I thought their match in the Tokyo Dome was really awesome, but, you know, they left a lot on the table. And Jeff Cobb so far seems to be a puzzle that Okada is struggling to solve. Even in their previous match, 
he had to beat him with that, you know, roll up. He wasn't able to beat him in his traditional methods, either using the rainmaker or the, uh, money clip. So, um, sort of a big test for Okada and obviously Jeff Cobb wants to make a name for himself by beating the best on a big stage. And, you know, when you consider the tie-ins with Okada and United Empire, the way that that was formed and founded with Will Ospreay, there's a lot of, uh, you know, long-term implications here. Plus G1 is right around the corner. And I know both of these guys need, you know, it's sort of a crossroads match for both of them. So uh, this is one that I'm really torn on. Um, yeah, I think dude. Conven- like conventional wisdom says Okada, but like, I- I'm kind of like, I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff Cobb beats him prior to the G1. Right. Do you, do you want to beat Cobb twice going to G1? Cause I feel like Cobb's going to be a big player this year. And I feel Cobb's gonna, you know, wreck people in his block and get a lot of points. So uh, do you, do you want him going in here? Does a loss motivate him? Does he does he lose to Okada and then goes on, you know, just a, a killing spree in the G one, or does he get the win here and that elevates him to, you know, go on a run in the G one? That that could definitely be it. You could see him lose and it puts a bigger chip on his shoulder, and then now, you know, he's this unchained gorilla for lack of a better term. And he's just, you know, That's fucking everybody up. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the new Makabe. <laughs> but there's a part of me that thinks that these two guys are going to meet up once again in the G1. Yeah. And if that's the case, I don't know if you want Okada having beaten him twice, unless Cobb wins the G1. No, unless Okada is unable to defeat him in a conventional method. A second time, you know, mm. Okada picks up the win, but they find a way to do it in a manner where Cobb is somewhat protected and Okada still hasn't truly proven himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. But this feels like such a big stage. You know, I think I think my gut is telling me and I could be wrong here, but my gut's telling me Jeff Cobb's going to pick up the win here. Ooh, man. You know, I'll, I'll ride with you on this one. I'll, I'll go with Cobb, but I wouldn't be surprised if Okada wins. Yeah, this is one of the matches I feel most unsure about for the whole um, entirety of the preview. So, um, But I'm really, really looking forward to it. I can't wait to see these guys lock up again. Then our main event for night one will be for the IWGP United States heavyweight title. The champion, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Defends against his challenger and tag team partner, a returning Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. Yeah, this is an awesome match just considering the long history between Tanahashi and Ibushi. Plus, you know, Kota Ibushi, he's been out of action since he contracted pneumonia. And, you know, he was supposed to be on track to face uh, Shingo Takagi for the IWGP world title. That never happened kind of had to settle for this u.s belt but right now at this point the u.s title is the second hottest strap in the entire company um it kind of replaced or usurped that role that we sort of assumed the never title was kind of going to facilitate you know yeah well i think they had to pull audible with jay not coming back to japan they had to get a secondary title back in japan so yeah i think yeah plans change pal and now yeah the u.s is now the uh second secondary belt well, you know, if you think about it, I mean, let's go through the short history of the title. I mean, you had Kenny Omega. He lost it to Jay White. Jay White, Jay White lost it to Juice. Juice lost it to Cody. 
Cody lost it back to Juice, and then what? It went Mox, Archer, Archer Mox. Mox again. Mox has held it this whole time. Now it's back to Tanahashi. So that's a very short list of guys that have held it, but it's a it's a quality list. Mm-hmm. And and if you remember, one of our big problems with them trying to establish the Never Title as the key secondary belt is for guys that have already held it when it was in that third or even fourth string role, it feels like not that much of an accomplishment for them. Uh, someone like a Tomohiro Ishii or someone like a Hiroki Goto. But when you consider how few people have actually held the U S title and how well it's been presented in the States with AEW, and then, you know, it's recent past with like Kenny Omega and, you know, the cow palace shows and things like that. It is a, a pretty well-established prize now to where if a guy like Ishii did win it, it would feel like a really big deal, you know? Yeah. Especially with like, you know, Tanahashi being the first Japanese uh, wrestler to win it. It's been such limited guys on the roster that have even either gotten a shot or have won the title uh, from the domestic side. The other thing too, is aside from John Moxley and juice, there really aren't, too many guys that have I mean there really is nobody that's like had a career in the US title division who's just held it constantly you know when it was considered like a second or third prize so for anyone else who wins it now I see this as being the better option as to be established as like that white belt replacement and then the never title can still hold an important distinction but you know for all the the numerous people that have held it through the years, it's it's like uh you know winning this would feel like a bigger deal than them just you know retreading old water, you know. Yeah. Um, but as far as this match goes, I mean, you got Kotobushi here, Tanahashi, these guys. I mean, every match they've ever had since 2015, Dave Meltzer has given it I think four and three quarters or higher. Um, the cage match inmates pretty much agree yeah uh you know they've never had anything less than a banger so uh i think they both have something to prove here it's a big big show in a big stage i don't know what the attendance is actually going to look like but um i'm very excited for this and you know given how crazy 2021 has been i wouldn't be surprised if kotobushi beat uh hiroshi tanahashi here could happen um I, i'm going with the age just because of some of the stuff they're setting up in aw um there's clearly a long-term story of moxley and tanahashi and how tanahashi has been conducting mox like obviously you don't need the u.s title for that match or feud whenever it happens but i think it, it makes a lot of sense if moxley wants a title rematch and tanahashi's the champion it makes it pretty easy to set that match up i agree with you there and that that's pretty much my primary motivation to uh, assume Hiroshi Tanahashi is going to beat Kota Ibushi here. But at the same time, Ibushi's coming off of a year where he, you know, won back-to-back G1s. You know, he won back-to-back nights in the Dome. He was the last-ever IWGP double gold champion. He was the first-ever world champion. Um you know, and so for him to kind of go back to losing to Tanahashi on a big stage, I don't know what that does for his character. Uh, maybe there is some deeper motivations that you could draw out of that going into the G1. 
But I wouldn't count him out just based on the fact that, A, there have been so many audibles this year. There have been a lot of things that it looked like they were setting up, and then they kind of had to not do. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I mean, we're seeing Mox wrestle Kojima on pay-per-view here very shortly. No red belt at stake. It's totally possible Tanahashi and Moxley might not even need that title. Right, yeah, that that's a big enough match where, yeah, you don't need the belt for that. But, I mean, it does kind of play into to Mox's kind of New Japan run. And um, his motivations. Yeah, and but, yeah, getting the belt on Ibushi, that could be the door to get Ibushi into America, show up on some of these strong tapings, and maybe potentially, you know, do something in AEW. And if you have a belt like that on Ibushi, I know this guy called the belt collector. He likes to get those uh, mm. trinkets, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, I'm not, I'm not anticipating that, but I'm kind of hedging my bets a little bit by just saying it's been a really tumultuous year. I wouldn't be surprised if the guy that's younger and kind of higher up in the hierarchy of the company wins the big belt on the big show against the aging star. I don't know, man. It's 2021. Ole's on top. <laughs> I'm going with the ace. I'm riding with the ace. Speaking of Ole's on top, did you see uh, Muto run over? Uh, uh, Kiyomiya. Was it Kiyomiya? Kiyomi- I think he ran over Kiyomiya and Noah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there. Oh, man. But, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the ace, too. And you know what? I mean, Tanahashi, bro, he's kind of given like put up a case for being like the MVP of new Japan this year. He might be like a wrestler of the year candidate this year. Yeah, I think he is a, a, a strong one. Yeah. <laughs> What's so special about hero bread, soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co. Uh, we had a question from Dom Homie 101. Will this weekend be the beginning of the Golden Star turning to the dark side? There's been speculations about, you know, a heel turn for Ibushi in the past. Um, I'm not, like, forecasting that myself, but, you know, I, I just touched on it there. I said, you know, if based on the kind of year he's – the past couple years he's had – if he were to lose a big match like this to Tanahashi on a big stage, what does that do to his psyche? What does that do for his confidence? What does that, you know, what kind of motivations does that uh, create within him as a character? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it could. Maybe maybe this could be the impetus for some sort of switch for him as a character. Yeah, that could lead. Yeah, a loss kind of like I was similar to Saint Cobb. Like this, if Ibushi loses, that could lead to like a snapping, and yeah, maybe he finally does kind of go heel. And that leads to him having a great run in G1. Well, that's a, you know, that's a big, big match. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's probably, in my opinion, going to be the match of the weekend and a good chance to match of the month, you know, candidate. Yeah. Uh, Next night, we got Wrestle Grand Slam MetLife Dome night two. This will be taking place Sunday the 5th, same day as All Out. So that's going to be a jam-packed wrestling weekend. Um, the show is opening up with Kazushika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. My dog is back, um, taking on the United Empire team of Great Okada and Jeff Cobb. So regardless of the outcome between Okada and Jeff Cobb, the next day, having a tag team match with Ishii and Great Okada thrown in the mix, just 
that spells an awesome opener. Like that, those are two guys that are going to, you know, really elevate the status of that tag team match. Yeah, and so again, that kind of leads into us talking about you know this, this feud kind of continuing and maybe them wrestling in G one. The fact that they're wrestling here again in this undercard tag match, dude. I think that there could be an incredible match between Okan and Ishii. Oh yeah, throw those boys in the B block. Yeah. Um, second match of the night, we have the IWGB Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles on the line as um, Bull Club's cutest tag team, El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori, the champions. They defend against the challengers, El Desperado and Yoshinabu Kenamaru. Yeah, so another matchup that's been built pretty well with the, the undercard uh, matches between uh, ELP, Taiji, and Suzuki Goon. Uh, we do know that ELP and Taiji are going to be going to the U.S. after this show. They're going to be a part of the strong tapings. Uh, Ishimori is going to be doing a GCW show. Um, and these guys did say they want to defend the titles against, uh, you know, the U.S.'s best junior tag teams. So that lends me to think that these guys are going to retain the titles here. Yeah, there is a line of thinking that they need to drop the belts before they go on their U.S. tour. Um, but you know, at that point you think to yourself, what, what, what are Desperado and Kenamaro going to be able to do with those belts that they haven't done a million times before already, especially, especially in G1 season. Yeah, exactly. So I think the money's right where you said it needs to be with Phantasma and Ishimori going to the States, doing the tapings. Uh, I think having those titles, uh, on the line for some of those shows, uh, cause they're going to be at what the Texas and the Philly shows. Yes. You know, um, I, uh, from what we understand, the ticket sales have increased, but, you know, adding that kind of star power and then adding the intrigue of a title match, the importance of, of that, uh, I think that's nothing but but a drawing point. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see Fantasmo give the sudden death to one of these two guys, probably Kenamaru, yeah, and walk out with the titles. Then the next matchup, we have the IWGP tag team titles on the line in a three-way match. The Dangerous Techers will defend against Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi and the LIJ team of Sonata and Tetsuya Naito. Unfortunately, due to um, LIJ having to be in quarantine, they kind of missed out on the buildless match. It's mainly been all Dangerous Techers in chaos. Yeah, and you wonder how that's going to affect the layout of the match um, because they've done a really good job building the heat between the cast team and the Dangerous Techers. Um, and maybe that kind of creates an opening where LIJ can kind of like sneak in with the win or maybe they're they're kind of an afterthought uh, because the all the heat is between this other you know set of tag teams. I'm not really sure how that's going to play out, but... Um, Regardless, I mean, it's really interesting. You've got LIJ just had those titles and then lost them almost immediately. And you got to wonder, like, if maybe long term they have plans for them. But, you know, uh, I don't know how beneficial it'd be for either Sonata or Naito going into the G1 with the titles. You know, both of those guys are historically known as singles competitors. So, um, I'm also kind of wondering, could Goto and Yoshihashi, you know, become double champions here? I don't know. That is definitely a possibility, and I think that would, you know, help really elevate them as a, a tag team. Um, 
don't know. I, I'm I'm feeling dangerous. Techers retaining here. They, they have that quick, you know, drop to like you mentioned to Sonata and Naito. I think they hold on to the belts through G1 season, and then post G1 they could do some more defenses and maybe drop it on the way to the dome or at the dome. It's definitely possible. The one thing that I'm apprehensive about the last time we had a big show, you know, the Tokyo Dome show. I took a look at the lineup and I I was pretty um, conservative with my estimation of how many titles were going to switch hands. I, I think I actually had no title switching hands mm. and that proved to not be the case. And, you know, a lot of these bigger dome shows, they, that's the kind of stuff they like to do. And already I've only got realistically the KOPW title switching hands. Um you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction here. I'm gonna say that Goto and Yoshihashi pick up the win. Hey, it's possible. These this guy's shown a lot of fire in the build up to this feud, and it, it could happen. Yeah, double champs. And you know, at that point, I think there's a team that's out there that's uh, kind of on the horizon as potential challengers. Um, Common Ocon. Yeah, and I think that you could even throw in uh, a Hanare, provided he's you know available to work in the area, and kind of do something similar to what we've been seeing with the junior titles. You know, where they'll sort of piggyback the tag team off the singles. I think you could, if you hypothetically put the heavyweight titles on two thirds of the Chaos uh, Trio, you could set up a feud between teams for both titles. Right, know, in varying yeah. different matches. So, um, and maybe I'm wrong here. I don't know. I obviously I think Dangerous Techers are a really strong tag team. I know probably a lot of people don't want to hear me say they're going to lose the titles again because they've been so good as a tag team this year. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's New Japan. They don't they don't care about tag teams, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised they lose it, but I don't know. I just, uh, I'm going to stick with the, with the champs retaining here. Um, fourth match of the night, semi-main event. We have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title on the line as the champion, Robbie Eagles, defends against Hiromu Takahashi. Yep, so not that much of a build into this matchup since Hiromu was not on the Junior Tag League Tour and just had his big comeback match against Doki. That was kind of a big match. We did have the the promo that we mentioned between uh, Eagles and Hiromu. Um, there's a little bit of history with these guys. When Hiromu came back from his other injury, there was that tag match where they, it was Hiromu and Bushi against the Birds of Prey, and Eagles had picked up that upset victory uh, over him, leading into Hiromu's title match with Osprey at the Dome that year. But then I believe Hiromu got the win back at, in the uh, Super Juniors last year, right? That I don't know. I can look up for you. I'm not totally sure on that. Yeah, I want to say a Hiromu beat Eagles in the Super Juniors uh, in December, but yeah, Josh looks that up. There's so there's definitely some history uh, between these guys, and you know Hiromu had to vacate the belt, and also he wants the belt back, and he is the top star in the junior division, and I feel like a lot of people have Hiromu as the favorite going in this match to get the belt back, but I, I don't I don't know if if. They're going to pull the trigger so quickly off of Robbie Eagles. I feel this is a, a great time to kind of build Eagles and give him um, a time to shine on the title. So there's only been one singles match between these two. Um, 
and that was in Best of Super Juniors, and Hiromu Takahashi did defeat Robbie, Eagle, uh, Robbie Eagles back in November of uh, last year. Gotcha, yeah, that's what I thought. But it looks like um, there was a match here. Let me see. Yeah, Robbie Eagles and, and Dragon Lee beat Bushi and Hiromu. I think that's the match that you're actually referring to where Robbie Eagles beat uh, Hiromu. Oh, okay. I thought Osprey was in that match too. There And you know what? There was a match between um, Birds of Prey at the end of 2019 where Eagles and Osprey beat Bushi and Hiromu. So it looks like I can't recall if Robbie – I don't think he pinned Hiromu twice, but he's been in two tag team matches where his team won. And I know, I think, if I recall correctly, I think he might have been like the the pin winner in both of those matches. I, I definitely know he pinned Hiromu in the, the Birds of Prey match because I was building up to the, the Osprey-Hiromu match at the Dome. And everybody thought it was really weird that Hiromu would lose going into that match. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, that Eagles Rio Lee match that was the match that led into Rio Lee against uh, Hiromu last year. Uh, what, last year in February. Oh yeah. yeah, new beginning in Osaka. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, perfect. So now that we're all caught up, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is an interesting one. It feels, you know, like you mentioned, it feels like they've been trying to do a Robbie Eagles Hiromu big match for the title for a while. But at this point, it does feel like there's a little bit of a lack of build um, because literally Hiromu just came back just the other day. Um, one has to kind of ask yourself, what's the future of the junior division? Um, I would assume at the end of the year, they're looking to probably do another Super Juniors like they did last year. And then that takes us to the Tokyo Dome. And I think the big match on a lot of people's dockets has to probably be Hiromu versus Desperado, right? Yeah, I think that's everything what everybody has circled. We even had a question from EMJ this PR who was pulling the title off of Despi a mistake. Robbie Hiromu feels flat with no build or history to draw on. I'm assuming Hiromu is winning. There was a part of me initially that thought, and I, I'm not even sure what my logic was, but I was thinking maybe Robbie should beat Hiromu, especially since he just came back, you know? Um, like sort of like what you talked about, you know, there's a long history in, in Perezu booking where someone comes off of a long injury, long layoff, they're put in the big match and they fail. And that's sort of like the interesting thing to do with their character. Uh, you know, they've still got their back, but they've got some rebuilding to do to regain their former glory. But you kind of look at the schedule and it's like, okay, do we think Robbie Eagles needs to go into Super Juniors as the champion? And then at that point, you're talking about a Tokyo Dome match for Robbie. Not that he doesn't deserve it. He's great. I just, uh, I'm just trying to kind of fantasy book it all out in my mind. You know what I mean? Right. And, and we, don't even, we don't even know who's going to be available for that tournament. Right. And if they end up doing two Dome shows, you could have some scenario where it's Eagles, Despy, or Eagles Hiromu one night and then Despi Hiromu the other night. And, you know, I think one reason people are even thinking that Despi is going to factor in is because of how much goodwill he gained in the finals of last year's Super Juniors, you know? But um, 
and then he had a hot early start to the year, but after, you know, all the time off and the delays and everything, it kind of felt like his star sort of cooled down a little bit too. So I don't even know which way they're going. Um, for a while, I was thinking Robbie was going to retain here, but I think they might just go back with Hiromu. Yeah, they could. And like you mentioned, there, there, there probably has to be some title changes on this show. And especially if Hiromu is a guy that could be in the G1, I think maybe you, you want him to go in with momentum. You want We've seen junior champs in the G1 before, so if he's going to be in, maybe he goes in as a junior champion. That's my thinking. Um, you know, I don't know why I thought I had I had this weird logic that Robbie Eagle should beat Hiromu, and then Hiromu goes into the G one off the loss with no title, as if that was I don't know what I was thinking, as if that should signify him being qualified to compete with heavyweights. I don't know, but you know, maybe some weird part of me thought like they're trying to tease you know, him jumping ranks, but I don't think that's really happening anytime soon. So if he's even going to be in the G1, we don't know that he is, but if he were, I think him being the champion makes more sense as well. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, ticking time bomb, Hiromu getting the win here, being the champ. The other thing too is, you know, Robbie Eagles had a really good title run. Um, it, It hasn't been long, but Oftentimes they're not when it's a first time title reign. So right. uh, I'm not I'm not saying he couldn't win here. He definitely could. Um, and I think there's a interesting story if Hiromu fails, you know, in his right. first time coming back. I think that um, that's pretty interesting. But with the timing of it all, the fact that Super Juniors is not that far away, most likely, anyways, <laughs> we don't even really know. Um, yeah, I think they go with Hiromu. Well, that takes us to the main event of night two for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. The champion coming back from COVID, the dragon, Shingo Takagi, will take on the King of Darkness, Evil. Yeah, uh, that actually happens to be the free match of the week. Um, The match they had earlier this year during the uh, New Japan Cup. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't remember that match. Was it bad? Uh, I think I remember it being decent. I think I remember it being bad. And I think I remember, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I had a rant on the show about, like, if Shingo can't get anything out of you, you shouldn't be. (laughs) Hold on, I'm going to try to pull up Grapple real quick, see if I can find (laughs) what I rated this thing. So it's New Japan. What what you rated it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it was New Japan Cup uh, this year, right? Yeah, this man Jeremy's not even you know concerned with what other people have written, you know rated it. He's like, what did I rate this match? Exactly, <laughs> I'm a accurate star rater. Okay, so I gave this thing three and a quarter, three and a quarter. Yes, three point two five, and the, so the grapple like average is three point one two. It's got a five point eight six. On cage match, which that's bad. That's under three stars. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it was not that good. Yeah. Dave Meltzer gave it three and three quarters. So um, yeah, some of this is not too inspiring. Um, <laughs> and you know, with Shingo being out all this time and Evil also being quarantined because of his interaction with him, we have very very little build. Yeah. Going into the match, obviously, there's a lot of history between these two, just from the fact 
that they were both in LIJ and, you know, Shingo's, you know, uh, ascension within that group is probably one of the leading causes in kayfabe to him leaving the group and branching off and joining Bullet Club. Right. Got a, you know, book for the LIJ stands. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I mean, I wish I had something more positive to say. The best thing I can say is let's hope that the evil that showed showed up on good nights of the G1 in 2017, 2016, 2018 shows up on this night. Yeah, hopefully during that quarantine, he, he got a revelation. I was like, <laughs> maybe I should stop sucking. Maybe I should have some, <laughs> some good matches. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know what, man? I think that there's probably some pressure on the guy because you know they they did the great evil experiment last year and by almost any real um metric that you could possibly use business wise interest level uh you know merchandising um critical reception fan audience reception i mean it, it was it was an abject failure it really was. I mean, there's a lot of numbers to prove so um, domestically and abroad. And we kind of seen the company cool down their stance on evil over the past, you know, year. Right. I mean, he was uh, all over promotional graphics and, and the website kind of position right. as a, a top five or, you know, top four, that kind of pillar guy. Since then, he's been removed. You don't really see him highlighted in graphics and stuff like that. So. So, you know, I think some people were kind of complaining when this match was first made, you know, talking about how Evil didn't deserve to kind of be on a big stage like this and considering his track record, both both in uh, just from a match quality standpoint, but also kayfabe where he hasn't had very many wins post G1 last year. Um, why is he even in this match? But I kind of see this as a big test for him. And maybe, you know, I, I, I'm not sitting here thinking like, you know, management are marks and they're like, let's see if he can perform. They know what he's capable of. But I think the question is, can he make the audience care again? You know, can he go out there and deliver on a big stage in a big way, which I feel like so far over the past year, he really hasn't. And so there's probably a lot of pressure on Watsonabe right now to perform. And you can't ask for a better dance partner than Shingo Takagi on a big stage to do that with. And I feel like if, if he doesn't go out there and really have a compelling matchup, who knows if uh, Evil's, you know, main event days are, you know, g- going to continue. I don't know. Yeah. yeah and Dom Homie 101 asks, so who will come out in this battle of good versus evil? Will we see the man at the world known as Evil slay the dragon, or will we see the dragon turn the lights out on the King of Darkness? So, young boy, who are you going with? Who's walking out I, of the dome with the, with the title here? I literally could not imagine Shingo T- Takagi taking a loss to Evil here. I guess anything's possible, especially with New Japan over the past couple years, but um, I, I just couldn't imagine it. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I'd be flabbergasted if Evil... Walked out with with the world title, yeah. I'm going with Shingo retaining. Uh, Rich Latta, One Nation Radio, Social Suplex. He asks, "Is Evil getting one title shot a year for the rest of time?" 
<laughs> I mean, it seems like it could be that way. You know, he's a guy that they pushed. He has credibility being double champion. Uh, they, they want kind of a, you know, challenger of the month, bum of the month. There's history there that they could use to pull him back up. Well, here's the thing, though. Um, they put some guys in that sort of role. You know, uh, the first name that comes to mind is Sonata. But Sonata almost always delivers in that role. You mm-hmm. know, they they kind of wheel him out when he's in his hometown on a big show against, you know, an Ibushi or against an Okada. And even if they don't blow the roof off the place and have a match the year contender, they always have a great match, you know, and people seem to be pretty in- impressed with it. Uh, I don't know that they're going to continue. I think I personally see this as – Okay, kid. Here's your shot. We, you know, we gave you a chance. You know, it was a failure. Let Let's see what you got here. And um, I think he's fortunate in getting this title shot because circumstances sort of necessitated it being evil against Shingo, especially with the G1 around the corner. But I mean, you have to keep a guy relevant year after year, and I don't know if they're going to keep doing that with evil long term. You know. Right, I mean, we, we saw this year kind of how he was slotted. He was doing a lot of KOPW stuff, a lot, a lot of six-man stuff. Wasn't really slotted uh, towards the higher end of cards, especially after that uh, New Japan Cup loss to Shingo. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, years ago, we used to hear complaints when New Japan was in its heyday, you know, and things were just kicking off in all cylinders. And they were sort of enemy number one to the <laughs> WWE, <laughs> FDS, you know, stand accounts. And they would complain, nothing ever changes. New Japan, the top six guys are the top six guys, you know. And they were kind of talking about, like, Nakamura, you know. Uh, Tanahashi, Okada. Tanahashi, Naito, Okada, Kenny Omega. And they're like, you know. But then you look at those names, and the reason that they didn't go down the card is because of who they were and the kind of performances that they put in night after night. And, I mean, it, I don't see them doing that with Evil. You know, I think there's already several guys that have already taken his spot that he was supposed to have had off of that title run. And, you know, I think it's funny. I'm just thinking back to, you know, four or five years ago when people had those complaints, not realizing that that complaint was based in a fallacy, the fallacy being that people should just be circulated for no reason. It's like, no, if they – keep their spot because they're performing, then they deserve to have that spot. And a guy like evil does not deserve to keep that spot right now. If he goes out there and he fucking kills it this week, then maybe we could start having that conversation, you know, it's highly unlikely. (laughs) It's highly unlikely, but you know, I think that this is your proof to those people that were like, nothing ever changes. Yeah, it does. If, if you're evil and you go out there and you get the titles and you go out and you perform the way evil does, you get, you know, move down the card, you get moved into six-man tags, you get moved into tagging with Gato and Jado, you know, and KOPW feuds. That's what happens. Yeah. This is his, this is like his, one of his, like, last shots. This and the, the G1 coming up, so th- this is the real test. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rambone Slam Pig asks, with Shingo just back from COVID and Evil being who Evil is, any thoughts on them deviating from the normal main event formula and just smashing each other Super long, strong style for 20 minutes. Uh, I think he means, you know, going away from the very long 30-minute plus, you know, close to 40-minute style matches that are, you know, kind of the house style. And, yeah, I mean, 
considering the styles of both of these guys, there's no reason that they couldn't have a Shingo Goto esque match. You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, but they're not going to. Right. That that would be the best case scenario. The, the bell rings and they just start killing each other with, with elbows and forearms and, and lariats and do that for the whole match. Drop each other on their on their heads with the Germans. You know, no cell kick out at one. Like that. That would be the best case scenario. But like I said, that's probably not going to happen. Evil's probably going to powder at the beginning. He, he's gonna he's gonna talk a dick togo. It's gonna be very slow. There's gonna be some ref bumps. So we're gonna get the garrote wire. Shingo's gonna have to fight all these dudes off. Lij is gonna have to come out and probably fight off Bullet Club, and then Shingo will finally win. Well, maybe I think he does bring up a good point in that Shingo is coming off of COVID. I know they said he only had minor symptoms, but you know, at the same time, I don't know what kind of preparation he's been able to do for this match. Same thing with Evil. Both of them are not working the live tour dates. Uh, you know, you, one has to wonder if that's going to affect, like, say, their cardio, that sort of thing. And maybe they do end up having a shorter style match. I think it's definitely a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Um, but, you know, it's kind of on the table considering the circumstances. Yeah. He also asked, other than the Ibushi versus Tanahashi match, what match do you think will deliver the most at the MetLife Dome? Eagles versus Hiromu? Any sleeper candidates to steal the show? Uh, I mean, obviously Okada and Jeff Cobb is a big candidate. Um, you know, I think the fact that it's put in the semi-main event spot, maybe this time they'll kind of go more for it than they did the first time and kind of build off that match. Um, you know, there's the intrigue of the the show and yo match, and then obviously the matches that you kind of already mentioned here. Yeah, I think Cobb Okada would will be that match that's kind of the quote unquote sleeper and could end up taking the weekend. But uh, for me, I, I think Tanahashi Ibushi is probably going to be the best. But then also, we've seen uh, Hiromu kill himself on a Cork and Hall main event with Doki. Uh, I think he's going to kill himself here in, in the MetLife Dome. So Hiromu and Eagles could be wild as well. I hope that match really delivers. You know, there are some times, not always, but every once in a while, like I think about like that show Hiromu match this year that where it just didn't live up to the expectation. So, you know, we'll see what happens here. Uh, Kevin Crawford kind of asked the same question, what we think the best match of the weekend is going to be. I think we're both thinking it's likely going to be Tanahashi Ibushi. Yeah. Um, fit underscore beautiful two, six, three, eight asked, do you expect G one fields to be announced at the event this weekend or at a press conference later to me, if they do it at the event, that means they have quote unquote good news. So yeah, we, we don't have a definitive answer on this, but uh, Kevin Kelly did kind of tease on Twitter that, you know, make sure you watch Russell grand slam. If you're interested in G one news kind of thing that he, he tweeted out a couple days ago. So I think it's possible night one, we do get the participants announced, and then night two, we get the blocks, dates, and venues announced. Now, I know a lot of people are down on G1 right now because of guys like Jay White and Juice Robinson and Will Ospreay and Suzuki all being in the U.S. during this tour. Uh, I still think 
the G1 lineup's going to end up being good. I think we're just still going to be a stacked lineup. We still have Abushi, Tanahashi, Shingo, Okada, Cobb, Okan. Just, uh, just still a pretty solid crew in Japan. And then you, you think of the potential of adding in juniors like Hiromu Takahashi in there. Let's not forget, you know, some of the tag guys. I mean, Dangerous Techers will be in there. Goto, Yoshihashi, Tomohiro Ishii, always an MVP in his block. Uh, Naito Sonata, like, majority of the guys that were in the tournament last year are going to be there. I think there's probably, what, like five spots open they can fill with guys that are good. I, I don't think this tournament is going to be doom and gloom like everybody's kind of predicting it's going to be. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, in the midst of you talking sort of, just doing a quick impromptu list of potential candidates. Like who are the locks? Who do we know for sure is going to be in it? And then, um, you know, who are the guys that are possible, you know, fillers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so far we got Shingo. I, I think we could both agree. Shingo, Ibushi, Tanahashi, Okan, Cobb, Evil, Saber, Okada, Goto, Sonata, Taichi, Naito. Those are all locks pretty much, right? Yes. Um, as well as Ishii, Yano, Yoshihashi. So, I mean, how many names are we up to at that point? Uh, I'm not keeping count. Okay. Um, so, at that point, we've basically got, let me see here. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Like you said, uh, there's fifteen guys that leaves about five open slots, and we kind of already have confirmation that Chase Owens is likely going to be in in it. So if you add him, that's sixteen. So that only really leaves four slots did, open. Did you uh, get Kenta? I did not because I don't know for sure that he's going to be in it or not. Yeah, we do have some news on him uh, later on, but uh, he was one of the reported names of U.S.-based guys that were supposed to be uh, in Japan. I don't know if his situation uh, has changed. So I guess, I guess he's a, an if, uh, maybe. Yeah, the, the names that I have down that are just literally just domestic names doesn't mean they're going to be in it, but like, You've got Hinare, you've got Kenta, you got Tenzan. Well, Tenzan's probably not going to be in it, but you got Kojima, uh, Makabe, Yujiro, and then, I don't know, possibly both members of G.O.D. So, and I'm not saying, all, you know, they're going to pull from all those guys, but, um, you know, if they wanted to. And then, you know, there's other names, too, I haven't even thrown out there. You know, Nagata, Hanma. They could easily fill their own G1 with just their guys. Plus, you know, if they did decide to throw any juniors into there, like Hiromu, um, that's a pretty good field. And then if you take into consideration, if hypothetically they did decide to throw any potential outsiders, maybe one or two, the G1 is probably going to be pretty packed. You know, you throw in it. I think if you throw in like one junior, or maybe two outsiders, like the whole trajectory of, of the G1 is totally different, you know, ball field. Yeah. And that kind of plays into the next question from our user Mitch MM22. If New Japan was going to fill out some G1 spots with outside talent from Japan, who are some non-NJPW wrestlers you'd want to see in the G1? Hmm. 
I think it's a, a it's a hard question because we don't even know who can actually get into the country, who has visas. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of guys that can uh, rally off, but I don't know how realistic it is for them to get into the state, especially some of the strong guys. There, there's going to be strong tapings now throughout the G1. Um, yeah, I think probably the most likely scenario, and it's it's probably a long shot, would be domestic outsiders, you know? So maybe like a freelancer or someone from one of the bigger companies like All Japan, NOAA, DDT, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not really sure. I mean, most of the guys that I would like to... To see, I guess you could even say Dragon Gate, but uh, um, most of the guys I would want to see are like they feel too big to be included. Like who? Like for instance, um, I, I don't know why I'm blanking on names here. Um, God, what's wrong with me? Who who's the ace of all Japan that I like? Oh, uh, Miyahara. Yeah, you throw Kento Miyahara in there, and it's like he's not he's not too big to be in the G1 in the sense that like uh, he's a bigger star than everyone in New Japan. That's not the case, but he also at the same time is like the top star of all Japan, so he can't be eating a lot of pinfalls. That's you know true. what I mean? Yeah, and I mean that would be the case with most guys, most big names from Noah, most big names. You know, you would need someone who kind of hits that sweet spot where they're a big enough name to warrant excitement by being in the G1 and credible enough to beat, you know, people within the G1, but also able to safely eat pinfalls unless new Japan had some, you know, like for instance, when they had Marafuji in there, he went to like the final four because they were protecting him because of the partnership with Noah, you know? Right. And Merit Fuji is a guy that I, I would love to see even today come into G1 field. I mean, if that's what we're doing, like, there's a lot of names we can name, you know, Daisuke Sakamoto, Marafuji, you know, Kiyomiya, you know, Sakura. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there for a lot. I mean, uh, Kanosuke Takashita. Mm, yep. I mean, there's a lot, but the 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 is how realistic is it is the real question right well it's definitely a lot more realistic than getting somebody from the u.s right now it is yeah, yeah. probably yeah uh then last question here from dom Hoy 101 how do you think the g1 lineup looks this year any bold predictions we kind of went through who we think is going to be in it but do you have any I bold predictions the, i think the thing we're both hoping for is even though it's a tight turnaround we're both hoping that kojima appearing on all out this weekend doesn't preclude him from being involved in the g1 this year yeah if he you know catches a flight as soon as that match is over heads back to japan does a two-week quarantine and he's in the b block i think that gives him enough time to, to be ready to to be on that first b block show and uh okay so let's say Let's just say, hypothetically, this is the lineup. You tell me how you'd feel about the. This would be 20 names, and it's all domestic. It's it's all domestic guys, pretty much, or you know, uh, New Japan proper guys. Shingo, Abushi, Tanahashi, Okan, Cobb, Evil, ZSJ, Okada, Goto, Sonata, 
Taichi, Naito, Ishii, Yano, Yoshihashi, Chase Owens, Hanare, Kenta, Kojima, and Hiromu. That, that sounds like a great lineup to me. That's it, sounds like a, it sounds like a great lineup to me, too, especially with there's a lot of first-time matches that you could do in that. Right, and I feel like a lot of guys, even though they've been in G1s before, I feel like a lot of guys are elevated or kind of peaking to their in-ring abilities. I think of a guy like Tai Chi, who's really steps it up every year and has been doing great. Um, we saw that Saber Osprey match this year. Saber's always incredible. Um, you know, great Okan's coming into his home. Jeff Cobb has been on a roll this year. I think this is probably going to be Cobb's best G1. Plus, if we did that, you know, you've got Okan. He's never been in a G1. Chase Owens, he's never been in a G1. Hanare's never been in one. Hiromu's never been in one. Um, Kojima's been out of it for, like, what, three or four years? Since 2017, I believe, maybe. Yeah, 2017. And even though he's probably faced a lot of this roster, it's been a really long time since he's faced the majority of them in meaningful singles matches which is what that would be if he was included um so like to me that sounds like a really awesome lineup and depending on what those blocks look like i mean you could have a really incredible tournament yeah it's gonna be awesome yeah and i mean this is kind of the thing we talk about every year we're always like man there's so many guys that we'd like to get in the g1 but there's only 20 spots we need like three or four guys to kind of go away well then you know juice you know Jay White, you know, all those guys that, you know, Osprey, you know, and I'm not saying that Suzuki, you know, it's not good. I'm not saying that I'm glad that they're all out of it, you know, Um, but the fact that they're gone opens up the doors for some of these other things. I mean, we're talking about Kojima actually maybe having his final farewell that a lot of diehard fans have wanted for a long time. And that's not happening if, you know, those other guys are here, you know? Right. And in the case of Osprey too, you you save a lot of, Osprey matches with him being out of G1 this year. You know, I think uh, someone should timestamp this part of the show right here. I'm pretty sure that the lineup I just gave you is probably the likely lineup. Mm. That's my that's my gut instinct is that I gave you 16 names that are for sure, and the four I think are the the likely inserted slots are going to be Hinari, Kenta, Kojima, and Hiromu. Yeah, and then, yeah, and that and that sounds great. Yeah, so. Um, let's move on. Let's, uh, talk about New Japan Strong. Yep. So this past Friday, we had the conclusion of the Summer Struggle in USA Tour. Opened up with the newly formed faction of the Stray Dog Army, which is the unit of Barrett Brown, Bateman, and Mysterioso. They defeated Adrian Quest, the DKC, and Wheeler, Utah, 9 minutes and 26 seconds. You gotta say the best friends, Wheeler, Utah. Yes, the best friends, Will Utah, the man who gets choked out by uh, Chris Statlander every week on BTE, Will Utah. I don't watch. I don't watch that BTE crap, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, it was funny on commentary. They talked about this. Like, this, I don't. I don't know. They were like arguing about like the validity of the name Stray Dog Army. Yeah, you know. And let me tell you, bro, I've been chased by an army of stray dogs. That's a very real thing. Okay. <laughs> when I was out working in. You know, these crazy fucking town, destitute towns in Texas. I remember, like, one day I got chased literally by a wild pack of stray dogs. Like, just because they're strays doesn't mean they got to be, like, you know, lone wolf dogs. <laughs> like, 
a bunch of a bunch of fucking stray dogs can be in an army together. This is a very <laughs> real thing. I've experienced it. Uh, wow. What, what do you think about the yeah, this this new unit of a uh, bear brown Bateman Mysterioso? I mean, Hounds of Justice, Stray Dog Army. They're basically the shield at this point. All right. So, and, so who's who? So is uh so Bateman Roman Reigns? No. No. Bateman Bateman is uh is Dean Ambrose. Okay, so Bateman's Ambrose, Barrett Brown is Seth Rollins, Mysterioso. Seth Rollins and Mysterioso's Reigns. Roman Reigns. <laughs> big Poppy Pump, he's the jacked one. Yes, uh, Big Poppy better than the big dog. Bateman's the lunatic fringe, you know? He's the talker, he's right. the crazy one. Yeah. <laughs> Barrett Brown's the little athletic one. <laughs> they're, they're the shield. Oh, man. Um, after that, uh, we, <laughs> after that, we had call Fredericks, uh, defeat Alexander James returning to strong at nine minutes and 37 seconds to beat him with the, uh, manifest destiny. Yeah. Pretty good matchup here. Good to see James back. And this was kind of a toss up in a way because they, they, James came in and got that victory over Coughlin. Uh, but also Fredericks is a guy that they're pushing and, uh, you know, kind of the top dog on that LA dojo class. So. Big good good win here for Fredericks over Alexander James. And then main event time we had Juice Robinson, Leo Rush, and Violence Unlimited, Brody King and Chris Dickinson. They defeated the team Filthy, uh, team of Jarrell Nelson, J.R. Kratos, Royce Isaacs, and Filthy Tom Lawler. Fourteen yeah. minutes, twenty four seconds. Yeah, so continuing to build up to the Leo Rush Filthy Tom match that will be airing on TV. In a couple weeks, continuing the Violence Unlimited Team Filthy feud as well. Um, then post-match in the backstage comments, Shoes Robinson was cutting a promo, and he was attacked by Hikaleo, put him through a table. So I only imagine what these guys could possibly do in a couple weeks on Strong. So he beat him with a roll-up, and then in retaliation the next week, he came out and put him through a table. Um. I don't know. It feels like I wish there was some sort of stipulation that involved a table. Right. If there's only where he could, if there only was just some sort of match that involved tables. Right. And you, if you, you know, put your opponent through one, uh, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. Exact his, <laughs> his vengeance. One other thing too, is like, uh, every couple weeks we'll, I go back and forth in this. Like I'll hear, um, Kozlov and I'm like, you know, he's getting better. And then I'll go and listen. I'm like, God, he's the fucking <laughs> worst. And it, it it makes us sound so, you know, non-credible. <laughs> non no, non-credible to give him any sort of props or praise. You know, I think I think I'm just judging him against himself. You know, it's, like well, he has moments. He has some matches where it's like, oh, he what? has some moments. Yeah, like, man, he, he's pretty good. And then there's other matches where it's like. Bro, it's what getting, you? but it's getting bad. There's like he was talking about like <laughs> I don't remember which week it was, but he was talking about like it, I think it was last week. He was like talking about like rice cookers and Matt Morris being like pasty. I don't know, bro. It was all over the place. <laughs> yeah, and this week, this week was kind of all over the place too. Yeah, he just needs to like, just get rained in some more. I don't know. I don't know, man. Next week we have New Japan Strong number fifty six, the barbecue brawl. We got some. Pretty big matches here. Um, looks like we got Matt Morris making his return against uh, Hickleo. TJP against Ray Horace. And then the main event, 
uh, Josh Alexander against Daniel Garcia. Is that the order that it is? That's the main event? Uh, I'm not sure what match. I pulled from cage match, and they normally put the matches in order. So if it's according oh to Oh, my God. <laughs> I, so I read it the way that you have been doing it, where you put the, the main event first. So I'm just – I was going off of what you do. Yeah. Well, a lot of times I'll copy it. Usually the Observer, uh, F4W oh Online gosh. has it first, and they normally put the main event first. But this All week right. I copied it from Cage Match. Guys, Hikaleo's in the main event, obviously. Josh Alexander versus Daniel Garcia in a strong opener. That match sounds awesome. I don't – I mean, it's going to be awesome either way, but, like, that's that's a match where I'm, like, you know, if they did that in, like, Defy or something, you know, let them just really go, that would be awesome. But, hmm. yeah, uh, Daniel Garcia versus Josh Alexander sounds awesome. Yeah, out of these matches, that's the match I'm most uh, looking forward to. I think yeah, I think that's going to be a, cause an awesome kind of grappling, strong-style matchup. I'm glad to see Josh Alexander back, so that that's great. Uh, glad, glad to see Ray Horace back as well. Um, he's a guy that I, I like watching, especially in Ring of Honor, and should be a good stylistic matchup with TJP. Big announcement, too. NJPW has announced that Strong will move from its Friday 10 p.m. Eastern time slot to Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, beginning with the September 18th edition of the show. So that means, like, for our friends on the West Coast, they're going to be watching the show at, like, what, 5 p.m.? Yeah. So, yeah, switching so, switching to Saturday nights, obviously Friday nights at 10. That's the Rampage slot, Rampage being number one in cable since the debut. You know, getting some big numbers, getting a lot of eyes there. So kind of a smart move here, move it over to Saturday. I feel like a lot of people probably watch Strong on Saturday anyway. Well, it- you know, sometimes like, you know, and not I'm not saying I'm going to be staying in watching Rampage every week. Like that's for geeks. But, uh, you know, because Fridays I go out on Fridays, but there've been a couple, you know, what, that show's been running, what, three weeks now? Yeah. Two weeks. Three. OK. So there's a couple weekends where we stayed in and watched the show. But, you know, it's late. Starts at 10 p.m. And it's like, all right, well, obviously I'm going to stay home because I'm not going out and coming home at 10 PM. So it's like you're home. It's Friday. What are you going to do? There's nothing on. So I've found us like putting on SmackDown and it like sucks, you know? Yeah. But if this show is going to come on at eight, I might just like, and I happen to be staying home. I might put it on at nine, watch that to 10 and then put on rampage. And you no, got but, a strong, but it's moved to Saturday though. Oh, I misread that. So it's on Saturday nights. That's even oh, okay. Gotcha. You know, I don't think Saturday at eight is really a great time slot. I mean, I guess it's okay, but if you think about it, it's like uh, it's a lot of wrestling shows that happen on Saturday nights. Right, but with you know this, uh, this is gonna be the first episode that has the fans. I think with this new kind of setup, uh, fans, you have all these big names coming in, especially for. These next set of tapings, which we'll talk about here, we had some big matches announced for the Autumn Attack Tour. So on September 25th, we have Minoru Suzuki taking on Fred Rosser, and then Will Ospreay taking on the Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks. And then on night two, September 26th, we're going to have the Man of the Hour, Leo Rush, taking on Taiji Shimori. And then we're also going to have a reunion of Suzuki Goon, Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer taking on the team filthy duo of filthy Tom Lawler and Royce Isaacs. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I was kind of all over the place. I'm like, I was thinking they were moving Friday at 8 PM. Eastern. Gotcha. 
Never mind. Uh, disregard. Uh, <laughs> New Japan has also added three big names to their showdown events in Philadelphia's 2300 ECW Arena on Saturday, October 16th, and Sunday, October 17th. Will Ospreay, Minoru Suzuki, and Lance Archer have all been announced for those shows. So if you're in that Philly area, you might want to get some tickets. Yeah, let's get some uh, Kaze Nina Ray going all throughout the U.S. Um, so now we just have a few other news items to talk about before we get to a recommended match of the week. Uh, so we kind of mentioned it earlier about Kenta. So Kenta revealed on his Instagram that he tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, on Instagram, Kenta wrote that he's been suffering from COVID for the last few weeks, but has since tested negative. He says, I got covid Last few weeks, he wrote, first of all, I apologize to everyone who had to change plans because of me. Fortunately, my symptom was not too bad. Just had a fever a few days and lost my smell. But now I'm totally fine. Got a negative test. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. So Kenta, he last appeared on July 25th when he competed in the uh, KOPW 22-man Rambo Battle Royal. And then prior to that, he lost to Tanahashi at the Summer Struggle event in Nagoya. So uh, hopefully, yeah, uh, he's negative. Hopefully he gets cleared and can be back for uh, G1. Yes. Um, Also, the big news, we've referred to it a few times here on the show. John Moxley versus Satoshi Kojima is the announced match for All Out. We had a few questions here. Uh, Grunty Dodds asked, are you planning to watch All Out this weekend? If so... Are you more excited about seeing Evil versus Shingo or QT Marshall versus the Giant? <laughs> um, I am planning to watch All Out this weekend. I, unfortunately, I won't be able to watch it live. I have a, a good friend's wedding to go to, so I will watch. Doing the J-O-B. <laughs> yeah, I, I will be watching it. The Luckily, we have Labor Day off Monday. I will be watching it the next day. Uh, probably actually, I'm gonna try maybe try and watch day two of Grand Slam. I might end up watching both of those shows on Monday, but either way, <laughs> excited for that. Um, as far as Evil or Shingo versus QT Marshall or, or the Giant, um, probably QT Marshall or the Giant. <gasps> what? <laughs> how, how is that? How, bro? Uh, because I, I feel like it, it'll be a satisfying ending, it'll, it'll be a quick squash match. Uh, Paul White hit, hit this man for WMD. Bro, I couldn't give a fuck about, <laughs> and I I don't give a, f- a fuck about QT Marshall. I don't give a fuck about his group. I don't care about Big Show. I that that whole thing is a waste of space. And then you know I'm pretty sure they're setting up like an Anthony Agogo match with Big Show where they because they both have knockout punches. So yeah. no, I'm much more intrigued about the main event of the second night of the Cebu Dome show. Like, what the hell? <laughs> we'll see how you feel at, uh, once, once it happens. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I am judging you. Um, Archduke Nemesis asked, when do you think you're going to get Mox versus Tana? The G1? KOPW? Full Gear? Wrestle Kingdom? What? So, uh, it's not going to be the G1, because uh, uh, Mox, unless... I don't know. It's Moxie's in that B block and also hops hops on the same plane with Kojima. But I don't. I, I, I was eating a corned beef sandwich, and I heard. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think Moxie is going to be missing uh, AEW TV the next couple months. But uh, to me, I think that's a dome match. I think it's a Wrestle Kingdom match. You do that on a really big stage, title match or non-title match. 
Uh, I think that match happens in Japan. I don't know. It honestly, with how much promotion they've done for it on AEW, it seems to me like they're probably going to end up doing it in America. Um, that's just my. That's how I. That's what I think, but I could be wrong. Although I wouldn't be surprised if they do a series of matches, one in Japan, one in AEW. Right, and actually, it might be easier to get Tanahashi to America rather than getting Moxley to Japan. So yeah, maybe the match does happen. Um, at, at one of the big AEW pay per views. Yeah, so this man John Moxley can eat a high fly flow and go to hell. <laughs> uh, Mitch M twenty two asked, with Kojima and the Bread Club set to hit Chicago, do you think the NJPW dads will see any type of reward for their hard work during the pandemic? Maybe a, mi- a minor title win or a decent run in one of the big tournaments. Um, I mean, I feel like they're kind of the, been getting rewarded. I mean, they had a whole you know program with the Chaos guys, those singles matches, and the never six man title match. Uh, I mean, I think we would see Nagata in a G1 if he hadn't had his last one. I mean, maybe they can convince him to, to do it. But I think these guys have been rewarded and highlighted, all, especially Kojima with the year he's had with uh, the, the Empire feud and then the, the Chaos feud, and now he's coming to face Moxley. I think that's, that, that is a reward. I mean, them getting the privilege of stepping onto the Cerulean Blue Mat in their elder <laughs> stage. That's the reward. They're lucky they even get to wrestle for this company anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Rambo and Sam Pig asks, with the tragic obesity crisis in America, can we truly survive the impending explosion of membership in the bread club? Yeah, bro. I can't afford to join the bread. Bro, I was at, okay, listen, I was at Panera yesterday. <laughs> And, like, I don't really ever pay attention to calories, but lately I've been, you know, trying to work out and trying to eat right, say my prayers, do my vitamins. Trying to get into worker shape. Take my juice, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You want the gas? (laughs) Yeah, get on the gas. Anyways, uh, so I'm at um, Panera. There's this really delicious looking cookie. I mean, it looked really good. And then I was like reading it. I'm like, oh, it's like $2. Maybe I'll get that. And I looked at calories, 860 calories. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what do you guys put in this thing that constitutes 860 calories? That's more than that's, – that's almost half of what you're supposed to eat in a whole entire day. This makes no sense. So yeah, anyways, bread club, yeah. That's and why people are fa- bro. That's why people are fat, dude. They're 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 sneaking, bro. The government is sneaking calories, extra calories into our cookies. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Bread Club's gonna be running wild in Chicago. The a great way to cap off the summer of cozy. Um, do you think that they do a special entrance for uh, Kojima where they have like baguettes? Everyone like at ringside has baguettes and stuff. They should. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about like those giant, long, skinny. Yeah, the crunch baguettes. Breadsticks. Yeah. 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 Or he could I think do they a, should have it like raining breadsticks as he comes out. But think, but think about that. That actually probably hurt people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know how much a breadstick falling like from the top of the now arena onto people's heads probably hurt. Like yeah. you have to sue. <laughs> uh, John Moxley, Sammy Callahan, they're gonna be teaming up to face the Wolves, Davy Richards and Eddie Edwards in October at Pro Wrestling Revolver. That was announced uh, that the Switchblades 
Moxley and Callahan will face the Wolves at their Tales from the Ring event. It's going to take place October 30th at the uh, Horizon Event Center in Clive, Iowa. This is going to be the first time the Wolves have teamed together in over four years. The last time was for Beyond Wrestling in 2017. Yeah, looking forward to that. Davey Richards has been having a really good indie run. Uh, American Wolves are one of my favorite tag teams in that mid-2000 era. ROH. They're not the American Wolves anymore. They're, they're just the Wolves. They're the, trying to distance themselves. <laughs> All right, just the Wolves. Um, <laughs> they, they were awesome in ROH, awesome in Impact. Um, so, yeah, if they're going to be back together long term, that that would be really dope. They don't want to be, a, you know, associated with the atrocities <laughs> that America has committed. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> Davey Richards can get this man, Eddie Edwards, back to how he used to be. Yeah, bro. This, yeah, it's going to be a weird tag team match. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about, like, what Davey Richards looks like and what Eddie Edwards looks like. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be weird. <laughs> um, Lion's Journey, Yotasuji was interviewed, said, um, this is on NJPW1972.com. He said, when I'm back, I'll be the level of the guy that can get to Ni- uh, Naito's 55,000 likes easy. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> that nice little interview up there. And, yeah, so obviously, you know, he, talking about, you know, trying to get those likes to face Naito. And so, yeah, plans on coming back as a big star. Get those, get those likes. Tokon Shop Global also presents Tomohiro Ishii's online meet and greet September 12th. So, um, that's going to be available, uh, I believe, here in the States, right? Well, yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, it's the, on, it'll be the online meeting gaming that they've been doing on YouTube. Um, so, yeah, it'll be pretty cool. Ishii, I don't know how he's going to be in a meet and greet kind of scenario. I'd, I mean, I did they'll meet. Probably, they'll probably have uh, Chris Charlton do the translations like they did for Kenta. Yeah, but I, I just don't feel like him. Be, I don't think he's like a very talkative guy. I mean, I met him in New Orleans, like. Took the picture, like, he didn't say one word, like, I, I, I don't see him as, like, a meet-and-greet kind of guy. Well, he's going to have to, uh, you know, be a little bit more Gregorious, you know? Maybe, maybe know. he can just, you know, talk, talk to the audience about how much he loves to smash. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a dude who, like, people were praising him during the uh, Q&A session at G1 in Dallas, talking about how great of a G1 he had last year. He's like, I didn't have a great G1. I didn't win it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The free match of the week this week, New Japan Cup 2021 semifinal, Shingo Takagi versus Evil. Um, also news coming out of RepPro at RepPro UK, Shoto Mino and Yota Suji. They'll be combining to take on two of Europe's most exciting prospects, Luke Jacobs and Ethan Allen, the Young Guns. They're, talk- they're calling that match a match for the future of professional wrestling. Um, as well, next Sunday in London, the Drilla Dan Maloney will go one-on-one with Yota Suji in a big-time singles match. And then August 25th, Sunday, September 19th. Well, that's weird the way that that's written out. Uh, <laughs> Sunday, September 19th, at your call, Bethnal Green, London. The British champion will be taking on the British championship. There will be one undisputed British champion as Osprey takes on Ricky Knight Jr. to unify both British titles. Yeah, a lot of big stuff happening in Rev Pro. I'm really excited to see. How Yota Suji performs there on excursion, big tag match with Umino, and then that match up with uh, Dan Maloney, who's been killing it since he left NXT UK. He's been having a great run in Rev Pro. Uh, big shot for our boy Suji. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to that. And then um, there, your main event for episode six, uh, WrestleMax, Calvin Tankman will be taking on Minoru Suzuki. Uh, also, there'll be a special meet and greet, 6 p.m. 
for that event. And then Chris Bay defeated Dave Finley this past week on Impact. And did we already do the Suzuki rundown? Was that last week? Yeah, last week we went over a lot of the big matches that he's going to be having up. Yeah, we talked about the Homicide match, the Jonathan Gresham uh, matchup, the Anthony Henry match. Okay, I just wasn't sure if we'd uh, run all that down or not. <laughs> yeah, this man Suzuki, like I said earlier on the show, going on his you know personalized you know G one indie run here in America, facing everybody and anybody uh, all throughout the U.S. Uh, a lot of rumors that uh, you know he could be involved, maybe at All Out. They do an angle. You know, Archer's been teaming with men of uh, feuding with men of the year. He could come in and help Archer fight those guys off, maybe have a match at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting, and also he'll be on the strong taping. So a lot of opportunity to see Suzuki in the U.S. If he's going to be at one of the shows in your area, I would highly recommend going. You don't know uh, when you'll get another shot to see the king of pro wrestling in action. Awesome. And that is going to do that for the news. we got a couple questions, then we're going to get out of here. Yep, so yeah, Dom Homie 101, he has some uh, fight questions for you. So he says, uh, thoughts on the lack of drug testing that Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley had? Do you think that Woodley was robbed out of a knockdown in the fourth round? Um, You know, I wasn't aware that they had a lack of drug testing. Um, I caught some of the uh, face-to-face that they had, and... Tyrone Woodley had uh, thrown some uh, allegations out against Jake Paul, you know, saying basically that they had a a spy in his camp that, you know, was kind of reporting to them that he was on PEDs. Um, And Jake Paul kept mentioning how they were being drug tested for the fight. So I haven't heard too much about that. I wasn't looking into it. I was assuming that they were being drug tested, but maybe it wasn't like up to USADA slash VADA type of uh, standards. Um, but where did they fight? They fought in Cleveland. Uh, honestly, yeah. I don't know. I, I did not yes. follow this at all. <laughs> Some of those athletic commissions in places where, you know, it, like for instance, where it's not California and it's not Nevada and it's not New York or Jersey, you know, places where fights are known to take place on a more regular basis. Some of those commissions could be a little bit more lax. So um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, um, one way or the other. So who knows? Uh, I do think that Tyron Woodley knocked down Jake Paul in the fourth round. Um, But it really falls on the referee to call that sort of thing. And it sometimes is in the referee's discretion. So uh, Rob might be too strong a word, but basically the rule is if a fighter is knocked um, off balance or basically would have been knocked down and they fall into the ropes. And the only reason that they stay up is because the ropes keep them up. That is ruled a knockdown. And that big overhand that Tyron Woodley hit him with knocked that fool into the second, you know, into the third and fourth ropes. Like that guy definitely, I don't think he was going to get knocked out or anything, but he was definitely off balance. And, you know, had the ropes not been there, he would have fallen out of the ring or fallen on the ground. So I do think it should have been ruled a knockdown, but, you know, I think it, I don't know. It, it happened right at the tail end of that round ending, if I recall. So I don't know. Then he also asked thoughts on Manny Pacquiao trying to throw stones on Ugas' victory against the Pac-Man. And any thoughts on Pacquiao wanting a rematch? 
Yeah, uh, I saw him make mention of, um, you know, Ugas, you know, basically saying it, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but saying that if he'd been younger and able to fight his style, this would have been an easy fight for him. And you know what? There's probably some truth to that, but uh, at the same time, um, I've always thought that rangy, you know, rangy uh, fighters like Ugas were going to be difficult for the type of fighter that Manny Pacquiao was, even in his prime. Um, but Manny did make mention of one thing in his statement. He talked about how he didn't have the legs to fight with this guy. And you know what? I think that's a pretty astute observation and pretty self-aware. You look at some of the best guys in history who fought with a similar style to Manny Pacquiao. You think about like, uh, I don't know. You think about like, uh, Joe Frazier. You think about like Aaron Pryor. You think about, uh, Armstrong and all those guys were rangy or not rangy. They were like in, in and out guys, guys that had to fight in spurts and go in and out. And, the thing they need most is their legs. And once you lose your legs, typically those types of fighters get dispatched pretty quickly. Um, it, it is a, a testament to the greatness of Manny Pacquiao that he's even been able to compete at the high level he's been able to for so long because, in my opinion, he, his prime went away when he you know, went up to 154 and fought Margarito. That's the fight that took his prime away forever. And he still fought at a high level way after the fact. So uh, I, I agree. I don't think he was able to utilize lateral movement or, you know, darting in and out to kind of nullify the big right looping right hand that uh, your Dennis gave him or the, or the jab. So I, I actually think Pacquiao might be able to do better in a rematch just because at that point prepping for this type of fighter, but at the same time, father time's, ticking you know um i'd probably still favor ugas in a fight with pacquiao just based on his age based on the styles but uh yeah i mean you know you know how manny's been these last few years anyone that's kind of you know um see typically if he loses there's always some sort of excuse Uh, his last question here since celebrity boxing is at an all-time high which celebrities that you guys I can see square up in the ring. My picks would be LeBron James versus Skip Bayless, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, and Michael Jordan versus Michael B. Jordan. I don't know. I don't really keep up with, like, celebrities like that. You know, I don't like Stephen A. Smith. (laughs) Uh, That dude talked a lot of smack, uh, you know, when he was covering UFC. And then I saw that man try to throw punches and um, work the pads, and it was, like, one of the most embarrassing things like, you know, I'm I'm not saying I'm a great fighter, but like, I would wreck Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> there we go. That, that that's the matchup: Stephen A. Smith versus the young boy Josh Smith. Um, book it. I I don't know. All all the all the fights I want to see are like wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> you you want a brawl for all? No, I I do kind of like brawl for all, but no, I don't know. <laughs> Is there any celebrities you can think of you'd like to see fight each other? <sighs> Honestly, not really. I'm not into the whole celebrity boxing gimmick stuff. So, I remember when um, Chris Brown, after the stuff went down with Rihanna and Punk, like put out a viral video saying like that he wanted to fight Chris Brown, and you know basically like alleged that he would fuck up Chris Brown. 
at the time I believed that, but now I think Chris Brown would probably fuck up CM Punk. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of CM Punk, we, we never got our CM Punk, uh, Jason David Frank uh, MMA matchup. The, uh, oh, bro, that would be so bad. Jason David Frank's like a for real, for real martial artist in like, He's like an eighth Dan black belt in this and that. He's he's like cross trained in everything. He's like a judo guy. He has BJJ, karate, like kung fu. That would be horrible, <laughs> horrible for CM Punk. I would never fight Jason David Frank. Like he's a bad mofo. Yeah, that's why he was the uh, the Green Ranger and the White Ranger man. <laughs> So now let's wrap things up with the recommended match of the week. So last week I recommended the G127 matchup between the guys that will face off this weekend for the U.S. title, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. Yeah, so I watched this match and, um, you know, I I knew for a fact that Ibushi, uh, Ibushi was going to win just because I remember that they had the big IC title match at Power Struggle later that year, and I remember it being set up during the G1. So that part didn't surprise me. A um, few things that did surprise me, Tanahashi coming out uh, with the clean white Intercontinental title. I mean, that Intercontinental Sparkling. title, yeah, it looks so good. <laughs> and um, we got the, you know, a lot of fans, especially newer fans, have never really seen full-on cocky heel Tanahashi uh and that is a thing it does exist and every now and again we get uh like a diet version of that Tanahashi and that's what we kind of got in this match like this man came out here and even just like the way he was like just jovial and then kind of like I don't know the way he was interacting with the fans was a little bit like he did interact with them but it was a little dismissive not the way he usually is right yeah and then um, once the match started, like he did all these little nuanced things to kind of get the heat on himself and kind of be cocky and smug and arrogant and dismissive of Ibushi. Uh, but once this thing got going, boy, did they have an awesome match. Uh, by most people's estimations, this is probably the worst match between Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. I still went four and a half on it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, the match is just awesome. I thought they had an incredible pace. The crowd was really living and breathing here. And Tanahashi did an awesome job getting the crowd to get behind Abushi, who, like, yes, was a star, but, like, still wasn't as established at the time as he is, say, now, you know? Um, he was still, you know, for context, just two years removed from his jump to heavyweight and from that you know, famous match with uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. So, um, you know, hadn't really been at the top level of New Japan that long. But one thing that I forgot, I forgot that he started using Kamigoye as like a sort of signature spot during that year's G1. Right, yeah, he started yeah, setting that up, yeah. For some reason, I don't know why, I felt like he didn't, introduced the Kamigoye till the 2018 G1. And so in the middle of the match, when he like picks up Tanahashi's arms, I was like, wait, is he, is he going for a Kamigoye in 2017? <laughs> and then he almost hits it, but like Tanahashi catches it. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I was like, wait a second. Was he using that as a signature before? And I just forgot. 
But then at the tail end of the match, like he he gives the the signal that you know that we've all come to know the Kamigoye signal. And I was like, wait a second, wait, what's going on? <laughs> I forgot that this is the match where he really introduced the Kamigoye as a finish finisher, like his new finisher. And he fucking drills Tanahashi and puts him down. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I forgot. I totally forgot about that. Um, just everything was awesome, man. They they got all their big spots in there. Oh, there's one point where um, Abushi goes to throw Tanahashi like a lawn dart. And he does not throw him into the turnbuckle. He misses. And Tanahashi's face just fucking scrapes the mat. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, this was hard hitting, very very good. It was an awesome main event for the evening. Um, you know, I would recommend any of their matches, but uh, if you haven't seen this match, it's well worth checking out. And you know, the 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 rematch at Power Struggle that year is one of their best matches. It's so good. Yeah, I remember so, that match. Love that match. Yeah, this was awesome, and it was you know this was a big moment because this is the first time ever that Kotobushi beat Tanahashi, who is still you know, white belt, top of his game, ace type of, you know, superstar. So, yeah, uh, big recommend. Really, really enjoyed this match. And uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I would say go out of your way and check it out for sure. So what is your pick for recommended match of the week? So, Jeremy, we're going into the multi-man match territory. We're going to the 80s, and there's three particular matches that uh i like to kind of recommend i've i have not recommended any of them to you so i'm gonna kind of give you your pick do you want to dabble in the ishingundan ricky choshu versus hontai feud from 84 do you want to go with the new generation versus old generation feud from 1988 or would you rather go with the New Japan versus UWF feud from 1986? All three were considered top defining feuds of the era. Give me some uh, Ricky Choshu. Oh, man. You have picked what is, in my estimation, the maybe one of the all-time great New Japan matches, but for sure the top NJPW 80s match. Uh, and I think it's a candidate for best match of the eighties as well. Um, this is the five on five gauntlet challenge match challenge match from April 19th, 1984, uh, between Ishin and Hontai. And it's a doozy. <laughs> it's, it's on world. So for this one, the last, so here's the, the interesting thing. Technically speaking, it's a five-on-five gauntlet match. Mm -hmm. They consider each match a separate match, and they've only uploaded on World the last match. Um, So you're actually going to have to go to Daily Motion for this one. Okay, no problem. But it it is out there, and it is well worth it. It is a longer affair, but in my opinion, this is – the defining match of new Japan in the eighties. And it encompasses every single aspect of what made new Japan great in the eighties. You know, you've got your strong technical guys, you've got your crazy brawlers, you've got your high flyers, you've got your hardcore guys, you've got your shoot style guys. And then you got your big, you know, 
like top of the card main event style match. Your, your ace, your aces. Yeah, your aces. So I mean, and this was uh this was the hottest feud of the company um, for the entire eighties. And just to kind of give you a rundown of who's involved in this match, you've got Antonio Inoki, Tatsumi, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami, Nobuhiko Takada. Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Kengo Kimura taking on the team of Ricky Choshu, Yoshiaki Yatsu, Animal Hamaguchi, Isamaru Teranishi, and Kuniaki Kobayashi. And the great thing with this match, you can do a little bit of research into it if you want, but you actually don't need to. You would, you'll be able to tell exactly what's going on within the context of the story, just simply based on the way they wrestle the match. They tell the story right there in the ring. Nice. And that's that's April nineteenth, nineteen eighty four. In my opinion, the single best eighties match of New Japan. Well, looking forward to checking that out. A lot of big names in there, and um, always loved all the Ricky Choshi stuff you've shown us thus far. So yeah, it should be a fun match at the check. And when I find that link, I'll try and tweet it. Remember to tweet it out. So if you guys want to follow along and uh, watch the uh, recommended match, also you can find it. Well. That's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review Wrestle Brand Slam. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex you can also find us in the wrestling squared circle facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle on instagram we're at social suplex on reddit i am the pro black guy y'all just keeping a strong style you can email me jeremy at social suplex.com check out all the other shows that we have here on the social suplex podcast network we have one show radio hosted by rich latta and james boyd we have the grave consequences podcast with caleb and maserati 8-bit suplex with josh number two all Things Elite with Floyd and Austin and the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.